Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Kokodak episode 249, where we're watching Stevie run around Orlando and Jason and Sarah. Hello, everybody. We made it. We're live. I guess first up is panel introductions. Let's see who we got today. Oh, let's see. First up, we got Rick Uland. Present. (laughs) (laughs) And the chat monitor, Marco. Hello. And next, we have the backup, backup streamer, Grant Leedy. Hey, everybody. And Petro Pena. Hello, hello. And next up is Ken Waters. Hello, everybody. Got a new game on challenge for us this week. Oh, no. Is that what I was supposed to do? Oh, Oh, well. (laughs) And then the foreign correspondent, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome, everyone, eh? And next up is Ron Delvo. Fresh from Arizona. Fresh from Arizona? That's correct. Still there, I guess, right? Yep, Fresh we're here. Squeezed. Okay. All day and long. Degrees. Uh, the next two are twins. Jason Reichard, Stevie Stroh. And Sarah's <laughs> back there, too. Oh Hi, Sarah. Ooh. Just right, right in that Mopar, huh? Oh, yeah. Nah. Hey. Next up, Alan. Exile in Paradise. Howdy, howdy, everyone. Time for Coco. Time for Coco. And David Ladd, are you excited to be here? Oh, why, yes, I am. And I'm sure everybody else is excited to be here, too. Please sit back. Stay a while. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, we have Nick Mariantes. 
Hey, everybody. I'm Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick. Okay. Everybody. All right. Nick, I tried looking for another Ferrari for you while we were in the gift shop. I couldn't find it. Ah. Uh, he's out polishing his. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, how's everyone's week been? Busy. Busy. <laughs> Pretty good. Which is a good thing. As long as yeah, the first time I've been this busy in two years, so I'm 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 okay with it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, shall we go on to the uh, game on section? Sure. All right. Let me find the right buttons here. Uh... High score challenge. Welcome everybody to the results of the Coco Totaki Game on Challenge of the Week, where we played Fighter Pilot. We had, we had a total, a total of 16, 16 players. We had, we had Nathan, Nathan with 8,850. 8, Mark B with 12,350. Marcy with 17,250. Jim Rye with 27,500. Sabhead with 28,650. Sloopy Malibu with 36,600. Pedro Pena with 42,650. Canadian, Canadian Retro Things, things with 44,150. L. Curtis Boyle, Boyle snuck one, one in while well eating supper with 67,700. And the number one, one score this week is Tasman Scott Cooper with 81,400. Thanks, Thanks to everybody that played. We will, we will see you next week. week. What about the ones that forged it? <laughs> We weren't getting out well, here locally, Mark. It was on the streams, and I, I, David heard that too, and so did m many people in the chat. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know where that would be coming from then. Well, you know, I sound oh. better in an echo anyway, so. Yeah, I guess I'll have to work on that. <laughs> Echo's just a slow reverb. And sorry, Nick, but uh, you were a little <laughs> late uh, for me to submit your yeah, score. A little late so. with Photoshop. Damn, there. again. <laughs> but we did have a legitimate late score come in from Timbo Tech at 28,300. So uh, I, won't, I won't mention Nick's forged score. <laughs> unless forged. he wants to uh, demonstrate live on the stream here. You want to fire it up and show us? Uh, no, it's all right. <laughs> Oh, okay. Go ahead, Nick. We're <laughs> sitting here in suspense for you. We want to see you play. Okay, that's it. I'm leaving. <laughs> Was it two gabillion? Oh, I never thought of that. I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, we, we can vouch for Tim's score because he was actually on the live stream on Sloopy's show there, so we, he just forgot to screen clip it out and send it to us. 
So, uh, Buck Owens did send, uh, post a, uh, ad for this game fighter pilot, uh, $24.95 on tape, $29.95 on disc. So, um, yeah, you can see how much more expensive tape games were in North America than Europe for all of their yeah. budget software. And both of those games are actually by Dave Dyes before he started Dicom. The reason why it cost more was all the uh, extra packaging that was involved and the production value of that packaging. <laughs> yeah, yes. Those little baggies and Xerox strips oh, are yeah. a lot, lot more expensive than your know, full color stuff in the UK. So. <laughs> And uh, let's see, we did have a review in the February 1986 Rainbow. Um, this reviewer liked the game, said that uh, you won't get bored with it, and uh, recommends the game to anyone that's challenged, fast-paced, exciting. Face it, you'll end up spending hours in front of your Coco trying to beat that high score, especially fast if you use the high-speed poke. As uh, if you watch the uh, live stream, some of us did. Uh, some of the complaints were that there are no color graphics, but and the sound effects on the title screen are good, but in the program, not so good. And he thought it was silly to have the keyboard option because it's just about impossible to play without a joystick. I would agree with that. <laughs> Jim, my highest score was, was with the keyboard. Yeah, but yeah. you're probably using one of those newfangled USB keyboards you've been fiddling with, huh? I was. <laughs> I live on the was. air, too. And what? It was no, live on, on the air. air. Yeah. We, got to, we got to actually watch it in it's real life. I didn't forge it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, we did, as I said, we had the... Uh, I don't think Sloopy's here, is he? No. Hey, I'm nope. sorry to switch gears, but I want to ask Pedro a question real quick. Hey, Pedro. Yep. Since you're closer to me than uh, Tom C. is in Jersey, I was going to bring him some motherboards to work on. Could I take a trip down to Miami and have you help me with some repairs? By help me, I mean you do all the work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. Because I can get to Miami quicker than I can get to Jersey at this point. Well, it depends on traffic. So. It depends. I was going to say it depends on traffic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. Not a problem. All right. And maybe you can, do, you can uh, make some videos from it or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Cool. All right. There you go. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt, guys. I can, I can, uh, I can smoke them. <laughs> 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 so during the live stream, uh, I, well, I was on there anyway, we had up to four people playing at once. Uh, one of which was Pedro Pena as he was testing out his USB keyboard. So which worked yep. well. We also had some people experimenting with playing it at double speed. Yep. So, uh, yeah, fun was had. A three, three and a half hour stream there. So, um, yeah, that uh, went over quite well. Um, there were a number of people in and out of it during the entire uh, stream. So, I think. I have a question because when I was playing it, when I, I was waiting for a client at one point and it took him about half an hour to get back and answer to me. So, I actually did play the game for a bit. I had at one point during my high score, my plane was suddenly firing four shots at a time. Has anybody else seen that? And I have no idea what I did to do that. Well, I did see Sloopy, you know, gain two planes. Yeah. All of a sudden, at one point, Sloopy had three, three gate or three planes in a row. And a couple of people had commented that they've also they also had that where multiple. So there must planes be some sort of bonus system then, because I I was I, like I was shooting twice as wide. I was shooting 
four shots up the screen every time I click the button. I didn't last yeah. long because I was kind of stunned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what happened with me. I was oh, all of a sudden, uh, it was one, and I was like in a big mess of stuff. And then all of a sudden, I had two planes on either side of me shooting also. So I'm not sure what was going on. So there must be some sort of bonus system. I don't know if it's based on score or percentage of planes or something that maybe we're, if I wish one of us had the manual. Now, when it was yeah. the hitbox bigger? <laughs> I mean, was it yeah, easier I mean, to get hit? Like if they hit one of the wingmen, were, were all three of you out? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I doubt it was a score based thing because my score wasn't particularly high when I got it. And, and obviously, there's a whole bunch of people playing, but not everyone actually saw it on every game. Um, so. I, I never saw any kind of bonus like that, but like, so, the, the game it's based on 1942. I mean, you have, you, if you shoot certain convoys of planes, you get them all, then you get that little pickup. Like maybe there's a hidden pickup. Mm -hmm. If you get a certain wave of ships, you don't miss any of them or something. That's the only thing I can think of. Well, that yeah. sounds like somebody should be taking a look at the uh, code and see if there's anything in there. Get on it, kids. <laughs> it's a bonus system based on buffer overflow. <laughs> no, the four shot one couldn't have been. There's no way that that's not accidental. What if there's like a, a hidden uh, joystick sequence, you know, kind of like the Konami code, you know? Up, oh, up, right. down. I don't know. We only had one button and a joystick. I yeah, know I know. It, it makes it kind of hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Button one, button one, button one, button one. Oh, yeah. That's what I pressed. Yeah. yeah. Well, so this is one of the ones that at least uh, Ken told everybody on the stream there that if you hold the button down, you actually get auto fire because a lot of people don't try that. <laughs> Yeah, Sloopy. <laughs> That's right. He was complaining his finger yeah. was getting sore from hitting the button so much. And then Ken goes, well, just hold it down. Then you'll just keep firing. Yeah. I, I've learned my lesson on other games that uh, you don't always have that uh, always check to see if there's an auto fire. Yeah. I, I don't know why I didn't try that. So I tried the high-speed poke on a Coco 2, and at first I thought it was a little smoother, but that was just psychological. It didn't help. Yeah, I know. It doesn't make any ROM calls, so it uh, wouldn't speed up. You put the it on Coco, a cartridge, on the other hand, it would. The Coco oh. 3 definitely goes a lot faster. Yes. <laughs> and you well, end you up having about 30-second games that way. Actually, I didn't do too bad. My high score was on the slower one, but I think I got 40,000 on the double-speed poke when I tried it, so it's... If I had the reflexes I did back when I was in my teens, I probably would have done pretty good with it. Probably would have preferred it, actually. Well, I think if you played it long enough and got used to that speed, but I'd been playing it for a few days on the slow speed, and all of a sudden it was, yeah. Yeah. So any tips or tricks for anybody besides trying to get how to get the mystery thing where you get extra planes side by side or extra shots, which I wish I could tell you how that was done, but I have no idea. Don't die. Yeah, don't die. Don't get shot. Don't hit anything. There are paratroopers that uh, jump out of the planes when you shoot the big plane down and little paratroopers will come out. I thought there were explosions at first, but if you actually look at them, they're little uh, I wonder if maybe if you get enough of those that you get the... That might be it. Because mm. there's little round parachutes that... Uh, you have to do this a second week to try that out. <laughs> the, um, the only strategies I have is that the planes always fire at straight angles. And like the big plane will fire out, you know, diagonally to the left, lower left, lower right, and straight down. So if you kind of shift a little bit off center and you're far enough away, it'll always miss you. So you can kind of do 
some shoot you know, strategies based on that. The planes will spin. If they start spinning a certain direction, they'll keep going that one direction. And then, then they might straighten out. So you can kind of predict a little bit of yeah, where the, to go to dodge. The Stay off the very bottom do. if you can, because uh, if they yeah. come up right behind you, you're hit and killed almost instantly. So if you're yeah. a little bit away, you can do it. Um, that's that's my strategies anyway. Yeah, the little planes do have a pattern that they follow. So you I can predict where they're going to go. I found that would help me a little bit was like starting up high, just go up as far as I can and just shoot as many of those single engine planes at first. And I found at least for me, it was a little bit easier after that. Yeah. Cause you can fire faster when you're up that high. Cause you have so yeah. many shots on the screen so you can clear it out faster. Yeah. It was a fun it's, game. Yeah. It's, it's not a bad 1942 style game that doesn't have, you know, the aircraft carriers and as many pickups. So maybe as Ken mentioned, those ones, when you, hit the big plane the biggest plane i think those might be pickups maybe that's how you get your extra weapons but you got to shoot them though because you can't uh like you can't hit them i tried that and you die <laughs> okay yeah i tried it too after you said it i died i will have to try that i i that might be how i got them then how i got the you know wide shots did, did you notice ken where any of them look different from each other or they always look the same uh no they're always just little round uh tops of the parachutes okay and you get rewarded for shooting them okay i guess you do um i think it's actually oh i don't have that up right now um i think the uh review actually did say something about how many points you get for shooting them yeah there's different points for the different size planes i know that up to 2500 for the biggest bomber um yeah a thousand for the uh smaller ones and then you get uh like 250 for this for the single engine oh fighters are worth 150 paratroopers are worth 250 medium planes are worth a thousand large ones worth 2500 but no mention of bonus power-ups or anything uh no it doesn't say anything um it does say that it's a very good uh manual for it and unfortunately that's not up on the archive so nobody got to read it it's lost forever i will eventually find maybe alfredo has it it's like america's great you know the greatest american hero you know how he lost the manual he couldn't use his suit <laughs> that's so a fun Snoop game i mean it's oh. not not the most visually stunning thing i mean the planes are rather well drawn but there's no backgrounds or anything yeah um, it does get bogged down when there's a ton of planes on the screen at once and a ton of shots Although there is a lot going on on that uh, game compared to other Coco one and two games from around the same time. So it's, well, yeah, it's also earlier that. before Dave dies, learned all the, you know, the tricks and stuff here. Yeah. Like I, when I've gone through and sped up some of his games, going from his earliest to his later ones, there was less and less I could do to speed them up because he started doing things much, much better. So Sloopy, is there anything you wanted to say about the live stream or? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did get Ken to hijack it for a little bit, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we we had some bonus content on the live stream coming up later in, I guess, the news. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. So, um, I guess fun game. Fun game. Yeah. I've also asked Karen because this is a perfect game for the dragon because one, it's got joystick controls, which means you don't have to recode anything to get it to work properly. The high score thing, you'd have to fix the keyboard up. But it's also designed to be black and white, high res. Like this is perfect for a PAL-based system. 
it's not designed for artifacting except for the little color box around your name when you type in that's the only place the color is actually designed so this would be a perfect port so yeah i guess do, do we have anything else to say on the subject i wish you could flip that's the one thing i wish it had yeah, yeah. I it missed that from the arcade game. That yeah, was the fun was, part. It would have uh, come in very handy a lot of times when you get cornered or something to yeah. be able to flip your plane. No, I, I will mention one one thing that I did not like in this game. Um, you cannot go all the way to the left or the right. And you, there was places where you should have had enough room to dodge somebody by going far left or far right, right up to the edge. Yeah. And since you can't, you you just get nailed and you had no choice. You would just die. That yeah, part I sucked. noticed I felt like I was just getting kind of clipped by the big bombers a little bit. I'm like, oh, it's clearing, it's clearing. And then, ah, oh, it's just one pixel over. Yeah. And a uh, little unfair how the uh, bad guys could shoot through their own people and hit you. <laughs> well, they're on different planes, different levels, right? Yeah. Well, that's how we figured <laughs> it out is that you've got a really fat plane and they've got really thin paper, thin planes, way, way for thin planes. <laughs> Oh, I thought so, they were transphasic bullets. It's only wafer thin. <laughs> no, they're using paper airplanes. <laughs> All right. Well, so that was last week's game. So shall we see what we are going to be playing this week as well as playing it in the European stream, which will be coming up on Wednesday, which I'll let... Um, Sloopy talk about here. So, does anybody recognize this game? Because, you yes, know, the do. name's right on it. Kind of an arcade strategy one. This will be a fun one to see Scripts people learning. It. <laughs> so, this one you have... Uh, Unlike Nick's games, this does not involve Mastermind. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, you've got all the... Every time you run over a little pellet, it puts a gate in there and then you uh, using the fire button you angle the gate one way or the other and you have to bounce your ball all the way around the field and uh, collect all the pellets within the time limit and uh, one thing to remember is that if you push the joystick up you move faster because I played it a couple of times without being without figuring that out and it's impossible to clear the screen in the time limit <laughs> yep if you've played Reactoid, there's a little bit of similarity between the two, but they're not the same game and not the same goal. And it is game available actually on Curtis's uh, game site or uh, game pages. It's the download on there. Yep, Dave Edson gave me permission. All of his games can be downloaded, no legal ties. And uh, other other places, uh, the other regular places, can you can also get it. So. That is the game for next week. So, Sloopy, did you want to mention about Wednesday's stream? Yeah, Wednesday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. UK, 7 uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, we will be doing the Game On Challenge live matinee edition. Uh, for all you wonderful uh, Coco and Dragon enthusiasts over across the pond. I uh, hope that you can come out and join us. And try a little strategy. Huh. Strategy. That requires thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then uh, we'll also be doing the regular uh, 
game uh, stream on Thursday night, right? Yes, that is correct. At uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, we will be playing uh, for all you wonderful uh, North American people and uh, all you people that aren't too busy uh, polishing your Ferraris in uh, Australia. <laughs> so I mentioned too, the minimum requirements for Tube Frenzy is a 16K Coco 1, 2, or 3 and a joystick, and that's it. That's all you need. And Nick, I'm expecting a high score from you again this week, but actual proof this time. Oh, you want to see me edit it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping you'll play live on the stream. Welcome to Nick's Game Stream, also known as Photoshop 101. <laughs> that was great. All right. Well, I guess that is everything for the game on. So what's up next? You want me to go straight into game on news there, Mark? Uh, okay. Let me run the intro here. All right, go ahead, Curtis. But forgot to share sound. Yeah, my little uh, sh uh, sound sharing trick only worked as long as uh, someone else didn't share. Then it turned off. Is that what happened with the echo they had earlier? I don't know what that what that's about. Well, uh, I've asked if uh, if it stopped when the scene stopped, um, but I didn't get an answer. I haven't heard any complaints since we back went back to live shots. So I'm assuming it's only when you're playing video on your end that it's doubling up. okay well we just had a uh, video we'll have, to, we'll have to test it a little later okay also so if you guys can in the chat there uh can mention if you guys hear any echo when i start playing clips too just to see if it's a general zoom thing or if it's something on marks and uniquely so yeah first up we got a couple of stories here from paris Surat. um so first of all uh he's released the first super sprite fm plus converted ag games pack now, he's done a few of these as little demos, and for those of you who don't know, John Whitworth in the UK has been remaking a board that actually existed for the Dragon back in the day that actually was basically an MSX2 uh, system with uh, the sound chip and the sprite chip and graphics, etc., which he's now selling as a plugin that you can actually put into a Coco or a Dragon, and it gives you a bunch of extra features like multi-voice music and hardware and, and hardware sprites, etc. So he's done a few demo videos that we've shown before of a couple games uh, that are using this. And uh, now he's officially going to be releasing packs as he gets them converted, which will be upgraded graphics and sound of the AGD games that he's released in the past. So the very first pack got released this week. Um, and he says he's going to be doing, you know, occasionally as he gets them done two to six, because they have to be recoded again. He can't just take the original Coco versions to do it. The system requirements are a little different. I was hoping to get some clarification from him, but I didn't get to by the time I got on the show here. My understanding is, is that the original AGD games require a 64K Dragon, like a Dragon 64 or a Coco 1, 2 uh, with at least 64K or any Coco 3 because it obviously has more than 64K to start with. The AGD ones for the Super Sprite, on the other hand, my understanding is that they only need 32K RAM, but they do need a 6 or a 9. I'm not quite sure why that's required. I don't know if he's just using some stuff to speed up things to get it to run at the actual speed it's supposed to run. So I'm hoping to get some further information on that, and I'll report back on that next week. But it sounds like it requires 32K RAM only, but it might need a 6 through 9. 
So anyway, the games he did this time, you can see here on uh, this little clip is uh, Bean Brothers, Circuitry, Diamond Geezer, Foggy's Quest, which is one he had out before we've seen and actually played video demos of, Meteor Mania, and Robot the Impossible Mission. So I thought I'd show some of the screenshots here. So you can immediately see there's more color. Um, so these look a lot closer to the original Spectrum games. Uh, but they run super smooth. I, I, we've shown the videos before where, you know, with the hardware sprites and stuff here, you don't have to worry about masking and all this extra programming code you have to do. So it actually runs at a pretty decent clip while playing multi-voice background music. So um, now, Ken, I was going to ask you, like, these games, you run on a Cocoa if you have the super sprite board. And there's not too many of those in North America yet, as far as I know. But you can play these in MAME. MAME does support this board now. Okay. So you can actually test these out. So these could be a consideration for... A future game on challenge but i don't know if you want to wait until more critical mass for people with real hardware because i know john's got the same problem every hardware guy has you know trying to get parts these days as a bear yeah well we'll we'll keep it in mind for now okay i mean the original versions the black and white versions of these of course will run on any of them just fine mm -hmm. so those are wide open but... is there any change in um the uh how how hard the games are from the no, the games are pretty well identical. The only update is it's playing multi-voice music background with special sound effects from the hardware chip for the sound and that they're using the sprite chip and, you know, 16-color mode is what it's running in. So theoretically, you could play it on either version, the black and white version or the color yeah, version. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You just won't get all the music and stuff. Yeah. There's the Foggy Spice. That was one of the very first ones he did in the black and white version way, way back. You might recognize some of these screenshots because we actually seen the videos of these running as, as demos. And the demo he demoed, or not him personally, but it was demoed at um, the Dragon Meetup this past November as well. So these aren't running on a six eight oh nine. Right now, right? if I understood if I understood correctly, this is running on a six three oh nine, and I don't know why he required a six three oh nine. Maybe that was just quickest easiest way to get it running. I don't know. I I, I left a message on the World of Dragon forums. And I, well, I didn't get a chance to check right before the show, but uh, as of earlier, I had not seen a response yet because I'm not quite sure why they require six or nine. I, I honestly don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just running slower than he would have liked. I don't know. But visually, they look pretty good. I mean, these, these almost look like Coco 3 games, to be honest. This is another one that was demoed. Uh, we had live video demos of before. If you remember, the skulls kind of spin around and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's Pickle Rick. Yeah. This is kind of reminds me of Moon Shuttle. For those of you who played that game. Is that when we played that one in our challenge yet there, Ken? That's a Steve Bjork Datasoft game? I don't believe we have. Oh, so an arcade game. It's an actual one of the official license ones. There's a Robot King Possible Mission, which kind of reminds me of Seamus a little bit. With auto mapping, which is nice. Yeah, so he's right. converting Z80 to 6809. Well, he did that on the original AGD ones, and it's using that AGD engine. So basically, you get the AGD data files, which is graphics and the rules for the AI, et cetera, which you don't have to change anything on. And then the graphic assets just have to be converted, and the core engine, of course, has been redone for 6809 required 64K up until now. Um, now the Super Sprite FM Plus board uh, seems to require 6309. If you scroll um, down, it looks like he answered your question there on the forum. Yeah, is it something oh, yeah, okay. to do with the... Cool. Uh... 
bridge work of the 609 used to use double speed without issues and a few parts that need to have the same speed than the MSX2 plus machines with higher clock rates. Okay. So 609 and at least a 32K machine with the super spread FM plus port at this point. But I'll have to talk to why. him. Yeah. I'm, th I'm thinking he's just trying to convert the uh, Z80's LDIR command to the uh, 6309 TFM. Yeah, but the original Spectrum games were Z80, so. Yeah, Z80. Uh, and that that's only 6809 he requires for that. Yeah, so that's right, sure. he did that. I, I mean, it sounds like it's something to do with talking with the MSX2 hardware that's on the Super Sprite board that needs mm. to jam it out fast. I'll, I'll have to talk to him a bit more further. Oh, no, yeah, it doesn't say exactly why. Yeah, he said he had... Six or nine to use double speed without issues in a few parts that need it. No. I, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to talk to him a little bit. I feel like there sure. might be some software timing that the 6309 is able to match the MSX. Otherwise, yeah, I imagine it has to push more data because the graphics with 16 colors obviously is going to take more than you know a two-color black and white is going to. So maybe it just slows it down too much in certain spots or maybe this... But you figure that the speed gains of having hardware sprites and stuff would make up for it. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to Perry. I'll respond to him on this one here later. So talk someone needs to do a uh, conversion to a Coco 3. Oh, yeah, because you wouldn't even need the super sprite then. You could just run That's right. full out double speed, 16 colors to be I mean, the hardware sprites you have to emulate still. Bring and it back to a, back a sound player. So you're not very busy right now, are you, Curtis? You could do that. Oh, no, Nick was volunteering is what I heard. Oh, Nick was volunteering. Okay. He's almost done busy. his game now, so he's going to have plenty of time. I'm too busy with Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about it, Nick. You could probably get another two or three Ferraris out of that. Oh, no, you can't charge for these. <laughs> you can't charge for these. Oh. Uh, donations, then. Hey, isn't he rich enough already, I think? Just really, honestly. <laughs> If he can afford, you know, if he's going on his fourth Ferrari, I think it's time to just kind of let it go and do some nice stuff for people and do it free for a change. Not until he actually owns all of Australia. He, he just wants that <laughs> entire area as his backyard. <laughs> anyway, if you guys have an FM Plus board, I know a few people do um, in, in North America already. I know his first run of 20 is already sold out completely. I know he's waiting for parts to, for generating a new batch of them. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to make some arrangements with some of the people here in North America to maybe manufacture them here on, on his behalf because shipping between Europe and here is terrible right now, both for timing and cost. But uh, And this should run, the, the board itself should run on a Cocoa 3 as well. So if you wanted to run one of these you know, natively on a Cocoa 3 without needing to reconvert the whole thing a third time, uh, that theoretically should work. And you know, having hardware sprites would be kind of nice too, especially with double speed. And it's sure you're not, of course. So anyway, for those of you who do not have a Super Sprite FM Plus, which is most of you, or don't want to have to run it in an emulation uh, on MAME, and as far as I know, that's the only emulator that supports this, this hardware. Uh, VCC and XWare, as far as I know, do not. Sixy, you're in the chat. You can correct me if XWare has any support for it, but I don't believe it was. <clears throat> but they did release the next regular pack for the regular Coco people and regular Dragon people. Uh, AGD pack number 50, hitting a milestone here. So he's coming up close to 300 games now. He's converted now, I think. So this new one here is The Shining, The Witch, Toofy's Nutty Nightmare, Turtle Tales. He spelled that wrong there. UFO and Vampire Vengeance. So there's a lot of horror-related ones in this, this batch here. And I think everybody will recognize that famous scene. 
which I think is uh, David Ladd getting excited about floppies or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it is based on the novel and the, and the, pic, the actual motion picture. You can see the twin girls, there, the creepy twins. Oh, wow. Definitely a platformer. Tubi's Nightly Nightmare. <laughs> Seems to be a standard jump platformer style thing. And Turtle Tales. I have no idea what's going on in this one. <laughs> Not a jump playing these. UFO. Vampire Vengeance. I like the title page on this one. I'm not sure what, where that was scanned from or if that was actually drawn, but kind of a cool font too. Yeah. And vampires apparently are just legs and a head in this game. <laughs> the witch. And that's uh, what's her name from DC Comics. Uh, she's the host of one of their horror comics. I can't remember which one it is now. Unexpected or something. But I definitely recognize the picture. Yeah, I think that was the vampire's cape, man. Definitely looks to be a Halloween theme when you got bats, you got pumpkins flying around, a witch in a broomstick, the moon at night. How many hags you have? <laughs> And all those black cats in the background. <laughs> Concealed. So there's another batch of six games as he's promised. He's been doing these weekly releases. I think he's going to run out. I think he said he had eight or nine packs of six games each on average um, to be out starting at January 1st, like roughly around New Year's. So by the end of February, he should be running out of the ones he's converted I don't know how often or he has a schedule planned for the uh, Super Sprite versions. Uh, but anybody out there in Coco Land that has a Super Sprite board and wants to come on and demonstrate, you know, live on the show what some of these games actually look and play like on the real hardware, I would love to have you come on and do that. I know a few people, I think uh, Ron Klein has one, I believe. So Ron, if you're listening, feel free to hop on. And I think one or two others might already too, so... Anyway, there we go for download. You can get them uh, on the uh, World of Dragon Archive forum. That goes for both of the packs. And as, as usual, he's got the uh, short name versions if you're running them on real hardware and you want to put them into a Coco SDC or the, uh, what's the Dragon equivalent of that? The Dragon MMC. Uh, the long names are more for if you're playing with emulators. And then he's actually got docs too here, which is something is nice. And of course, every month he's doing these upgrade uh, big packs as you call them which is basically every game that's been released so far so if you joined the party late here and you don't want to have to go back and download a 50 individual packs you can get the big mega pack from last month and then just get the last three weeks or you can wait until the end of february beginning of march when he releases the next big pack and you get the whole thing in one shot next up we have uh paul shoemaker of course has been doing his uh poker squares game and uh, porting it to every single derivative of Coco you can possibly find, except I believe he hasn't done the MC10 version yet, but he's done like Coco VGA, he's done Coco 3, he's done Dragon, he's done 
Coco one and two with artifacting, et cetera. So he's been working on that, but now he's working on a mock-up of three cells. This is kind of how he's planning to do the layout, 320 by 200 by 16. And uh, it looks pretty good. He's using that card set that he's uh, got official permission to use. And as usual, it looks really, really nice. And um, I don't know how many people here played free cell in Windows. Pedro? I played a lot of free cell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, once I learned how to play it, actually, I got kind of addicted to it for a little bit there. When I first looked at it, I was just like, I don't understand this. And I was back in solitaire, but. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, it's a fun little game. So. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I got addicted. I would go to work and play <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> but that's why I would have needed the Nitrous 9 version back in the day there, because I would just hit a window. I'm not. I'm not I'm not playing games. I'm programming. See? <laughs> right, right. It was a Linux shop. You know? you run an emulator in one screen. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the nice thing about having all the full screen windows and just one button to instantly switch to the other one because you'd be, you know, playing a game of Shanghai or whatever, and um, you know, the boss is coming by. Just hit clear once, and then you can see the screen scrolling up as it's printing. Although there the was a game, and I forget which one it was, but the pause screen was a Lotus spreadsheet. So yeah, there was a DOS one, wasn't it? Really. really? I think I Rogue, had, or Rogue, that, Rogue had a DOS pump. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it did. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was one that was game. a load. There was one that was a Lotus spreadsheet as well that looked pretty realistic and had. I think uh, Minesweeper used to have that on the old on back in Windows, like ME and stuff like that. <laughs> the problem was if your it. shop didn't use Lotus and they used like you know Microsoft yeah. Office or right, some other right. you know, open office, that didn't quite work. So the DOS pump one now. made more more to me because it would actually would let you type. It wouldn't actually do anything. I think Dur worked, so you could make it look like you were actually doing something there, and then you just hit back. Anyway, it looks really good, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that too. This is one uh, Ken and I mentioned. I kind of stole the stream for it, and I had to upload this twice because I was kind of groggy early this morning when I uploaded it. Um, basically, if you guys have been following Rick Adams, who was on last week to talk about, it, he's been converting that latest craze game, which is kind of a word-based mastermind style game, so it's right up Nick's alley. Uh, called Wordle, and he made Kakodal, I guess is what we're calling it now. So he's been updating it you know, multiple times over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it's been making a lot of good progress. And I had a bit of a time where I wanted to take a bit of a break, but I didn't want to get back to Petsky because the part of Petsky I'm working on right now is one I have to concentrate on what the heck I'm doing. So I can't just do a quick little 15, 30-minute break on it. So I downloaded his source code because he's got it up in his GitHub. And decided, you know, I took a look at it. It's actually very short. I didn't, I didn't expect the program to be this small. So I thought, well, this would be a perfect candidate for me to try to convert to Basic 9 because I keep yammering how people should write games in Basic 9 because, you know, it's easier and more powerful than Limerger Basic. So I did an initial conversion to it. And then, of course, Nick, the very next day, went and updated a whole whack load of stuff. And I managed to sneak in another 15 minutes to update the stuff that he did. And then after that, I got swamped with work. So my version's a bit behind. I don't have all those things he's right up to date is, but it's fully playable. I uploaded it to Facebook. I uploaded it to Discord here. Um, I'll be throwing in the archive once I get the final version done. This can be considered a beta. It's fully playable. It, uh, no bugs that I know of. And it does display faster and it does play faster, even off of a real floppy drive. Um, and then, of course, you're running off the SDC of the hard drive or something that runs like pretty, pretty darn quick. And uh, this is one that Ken actually snuck onto the stream because I mentioned that I would, I'd been sending it to Ken and a couple others just to kind of test it. And uh, Ken, I'll stop my screen sharing if you want to just show a little bit of the gameplay video. Do you still have it handy? Oh, uh, uh, give me just like a minute here. To okay. Well, in the meantime, up. I'll just show the, the intro screen here. 
So the first time I uploaded this, um, I accidentally had the word buy here twice. I had buy at the end of this line and I had buy in front of my name. So it was going, was my inversion bye-bye L Curtis Boyle. It's kind of like I was sending myself off to my own death or something. So, and that is ironically something that uh, Rick Adams had pointed out to me earlier when he played an earlier test version too. And I thought, well, the one time thing I have time to change is just take the word buy out, just recenter it a little bit. So I did that on screen. I edited it in base and I itself and I forgot to save the darn thing after I made sure it lined up properly. And the version I uploaded initially had this stupid bug still in it because I hadn't saved it. So I quickly went and did it again. So there's a separate upload on Facebook. Get the second one, not the first one, uh, that actually has that corrected. Um, you can tell by the screenshot in the uh, comments of the post which one's the current one, which one's the old one. So for those of you who don't know the game, it's basically you have to guess. You have six times to try to guess a five-letter word, completely picked at random. And like Mastermind, the... Uh, Guesses you punch in are color-coded, so you get gray means that letter is not in the solution whatsoever. Yellow means that letter is in the solution, but it's in the wrong spot. And green means it's the right letter in the right spot. So you kind of gradually try to figure out the word. And uh, I guess the official one just got bought up by the New York Times for, I don't know, millions of dollars or something like that. And uh, actually is being hosted by them now, I believe, as of this week, last week. But, but, uh, but, but where it's different to our normal mastermind is that you don't have the flexibility of just putting the letters where you want. I yes. didn't realize that you have to pick another word uh, from its own built-in database. Or Yeah, you have to punch in a legitimate five-character yeah. word, and that makes that's it much more challenging. <laughs> that's, the, that's the part I didn't understand. Yeah. So. Yeah, the first time I played it, I had the same thing because I, I punched in, oh, this is going to be easy. I'll just go A, 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 B, C, yeah. D, E, or whatever, you know, type thing, and it comes back. That's not a word. <laughs> yeah, you've got to guess with a word. Yeah. Not, so sometimes yeah. you might get where you, you've got a couple letters, but you have absolutely no idea what the other ones are, but you can't think of any other words that fit that. So you pick a completely different word that you know is going to be wrong because you already know you're going to be punching in some letters in, in places that you know what it should be. But you're trying to guess what other letters should be in it. So you might pick a totally different word to see. Is EC in there, for example? And you type score or something like that just to see if uh, those letters show up as yellow to show that they are part of the solution. And that helps narrow it down. Now, the one difference right now, like uh, the latest version that Rick uploaded has it, you punch in the letters right in the boxes themselves, which is what he just added because he had the same thing I've got right now. I have a little you know set of five underscores at the top. You punch it in. I'm not sure I want to change that because the input system, once you get used to this, the one I've used, to me is a little bit easier. Because the original one, you'd, you'd hit, you know, type your characters and hit the backspace and wipe them out and go back. I have it non-destructive. So you can actually go in there and just you know go place a letter over top using the arrow keys and leave the rest of it there. So you can kind of read as you pop in different letters. It makes it a bit more visually easy to, to figure out what you're doing. Um, plus, you can con you know, control right and control left arrow to insert and delete. So you can actually shift the letters over as you're typing them. If you know what's in the wrong spot, say, well, what, what pattern do I recognize if I move it over here? Because sometimes I just can't figure it out just by looking at the list of letters left over. But have I, I blathered on enough, Ken, for you to bring yeah, it? Oh, yeah. I got it ready to go <laughs> if you want to see. <laughs> okay. I'll stop um, sharing for a bit and we'll let you uh, kind of show it off there. Okay. So. Also, uh, 60, I responded uh, uh, just to catch up here on uh, x -ray. Definitely does not support the uh, MSX Super Sprite Board. Uh, nothing. Damn, I'm good. So, <laughs> got the sound going now, too. So, this is just us. I see. So, 
it's basically just text on there and a couple of squares and yeah and then it has to search through an entire like if you put in something that's not a word be like oh, not a valid word so it has to search the um Vital. Oh. the file why does it have to search the word the file though I don't understand the the game yet. Oh, um, it, you can't use an invalid word as a guess. You can't ah, just type in letters, so ah, you can't just go like a a a a a a. You find out whether if there's an a in there, the and what spot it's in, it'll say nope, that's not the word. But I Ooh. thought, doesn't the program pick a word that you have to? Yeah, it picks work. a word that you have to guess, and then yeah. um, as you guess. It'll show up as yellow if that uh, letter appears in the word, and green if it appears in the word and it's in the right spot. I mean, that's that's right. enough to, to yeah. do the play. Yeah, so that's the thing where I couldn't understand because I'm trying to look at it. From yeah, you're looking the at it as strictly mastermind where you're just yeah. trying yeah. to guess the colors so, in whatever order. So it wasn't you clear try. that you got to put a word in as a guess. That was our, our, our teaching moment on the stream. So that's it's right. educational, not just fun. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that is actually and what makes the, the game much more challenging, I think, too, because, yeah, you could just wing it and throw in five different letters every guess and narrow it down fairly quickly, or at least have the option of doing so, or especially if you, you think, I, I'm not sure if it's going to be one of these three letters, you can throw the three letters you want to know and find out instantly between yellow and green whether or not you've got the right one. <laughs> You know, if you've got words that are only one character apart and you only got one guess left, for example. And and what's the uh, list of words? Like, is that where where'd you get that list from? Uh, uh, you have to ask Rick, because um, basically I took it from his, because he supplies oh, one. It's okay. a twenty-nine granule file or something. It's, it's fairly big. It's right. about fifty some odd k, and it's five think... letters per <laughs> words. Do the math. Rick was saying that uh, last week that um, the actual file for the real game was a little strange. It looks like they just taken a dictionary file and any words, five or letters or longer, they just cut the end words off because some were nonsense words in the file. So. Mm. Yeah. Now I know, I do. I know from some comments that Rick had gotten on his post on Facebook when he uploaded his version originally is that uh, they were, some people were asking, well, is it encrypted in any way so that you can't cheat? And as Rick pointed out, and I agree with them totally. If somebody's going to cheat, they're going to cheat. Whether you scramble it or and or the weird things, they'll just disassemble the code and figure out how you're doing it and just do it anyway. And they'll, they'll cheaters well, will be cheaters. The word's a word. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 I'm not bothering dictionary. and he's not bothering and Nick's going to Photoshop the result anyway. So it doesn't matter. That's right. <laughs> and it would be wasting your time. <laughs> Looking at it the would, dictionary would be cheating. <laughs> it would be fun to script like the dinosaur spelling dictionary against the Wordle game and see. How long it would take for it to win? Yeah. It'd now, is anybody thing? You know? is, has anybody ever gotten it in one guess? I don't know anybody has, but I've seen a couple nah. people on the Amigos Discord have actually got them in two. I I, best I think I've done is four. That's ah. just pure luck. <laughs> yeah, that's just Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> the cheaters. This do. is on the official one, but yeah, yeah do it seven hundred times, and I won twice. <laughs> Now, I will say one thing. When I first started doing it with the random function, of course, random is not really random, right? It's basically just a lookup table. The thing is, if you booted NitroSun, you had it start immediately at the same time. And you could do this with Rick's version too. Uh, the random seed would come out the same every time. So it would be a predictable list of words in the same order every time. So you could cheat and get in one. 
So actually, I both Rick and I changed our random routines a little bit to try to make it a bit more random. Um, and I, I constantly am randomizing as you're guessing. It comes and takes the timer, the number of seconds left. So each guess that takes a different amount of time reseeds it. So by the time you, you've taken a couple of guesses, it's completely in a different, you know, where you would have been the previous game. So it's, it's not as predictable. But, yeah, that's one of the problems with pseudorandom. I just use the same word to start it every time. One of these times it's going to be right. Yeah, I know. Like William Astle, of course, is like a mathematical genius compared to, to me. Um, he's got some things that he does specifically. The word adieu, which is a kind of a French word, I think. Um, that has almost all the vowels in one word. So he uses that as a good one because you can get your vowels figured out almost instantly. The only ones that's all missing right. really, I think, O and Y, basically. So hey, go, go ahead and download it. You can get it on Discord. You can get it on Facebook. I probably won't put it on the archive until I get the final version out, which won't be for at least a few weeks until work catches up. And it will be included on EOU, the next release. Except there it'll be enhanced a little bit because it'll have its own icon and you can just double click it in G shell and it'll launch and blah, blah, blah. So this one, you got to go the old school command line and type in a few things. So Nick will I've never, never touch played it. it. What's that? First, I've never played it. The first time we'll be on a Coco. <laughs> hey, next up, uh, Jim Gary did uh, another conversion here. So this is a game called Space Derelict. And uh, this one is requires the 20k upgrade and you actually had to slim the game down to get it to fit even in 20k now if you have an mcx 128 or the 32 sd whatever the heck that thing's called the mc10 like which gives you more memory you probably could have fit the original but not too many people have those the 16k upgrade is much more common which gives you 20k total so you kind of had to compress it down uh but basically this one was originally by jim menick and it was part of a book uh, that was called Basic Adventure Strategy Game Design from 1984. This was a book that wasn't just a list of adventure games, so it had some samples, but it was meant to teach you how to write an adventure game and how to design one. So this is one of the sample games on there. So uh, Jim thought that was a pretty interesting one to actually get put on. And uh, aside from having the video, I won't play it because it's a standard text adventure game, but I will show the fact that this is one of the ones he actually took the time to write a blog on because he doesn't do that with every one of his conversions. In fact, that's a little bit more rare. So it kind of goes through, you know, trying to find it. And the fact that it was originally published for an Apple II interior city model one, two, three, four style book. And uh, apparently there was a PC Junior version, but the uh, PC Junior died right when the book was about to come out. So it never got released. And he went hunting on the web and he could not find a typed in version of this game on any platform. So we actually had to OCR scan the thing or, or type the whole thing in or OCR scan or a combination of both to get it to work. And then he starts, you know, going into how he had to like shrink it down, et cetera. And then somehow the program actually worked um, based on the book itself that it came from. So a little bit of a history of um, some of the hip, you know, books on adventure game design, as well as, you know, here's the sample game that they had in the book. So pretty interesting little blog post if you're into tech adventure games. Next up, Marlon Lee comes back. And this is not the game he's showing off in this particular video. This is part of his intro. Uh, but he's doing Space Raiders for the Coco. So I will... Play a little bit of that, and I will. Hey guys, today we have uh, Space Raiders from Mark. Depp You'll recognize the name Brian Bruder if you watched our show the last few weeks, because he's actually going to be our guest next week. So this is one of the games that he had published for the Coco back in the day. Um, the first one he did actually, 
which is, of course, a Space Invaders clone. This was sold in Mark Battle products. It's one of the closer clones to the arcade game, and it's got some nice little bits, too. Like, if you shoot the alien saucer, instead of it just blowing up, it actually gets wounded, changes color, limps across the top screen, and then goes down the right-hand side, and then stops on the bottom, and you can stack them up. And I think there's a free ship or something to get somebody stacked up or something. So it's got a little bit of additions to the arcade game as well. But it's a pretty pretty decent version of the game. The other one he's most famous for is P-51 Mustang Attack Flight Simulator, which is, uh, I think, the first arcade-style head-to-head game you played with two Cocos connected together, either via modem or through direct uh, serial you know, null modem cable. And each player got their own Coco, their own joystick, and fly in the same environment and see each other and shoot each other type thing. And you could play it over, you know, across the country on a modem at 3 or 1200, which was pretty awesome. We'd had a couple of modem games before P51, but they were usually board games where everybody took a turn. It wasn't real time. You'd play like checkers or Othello or chess or something like that. But in this case, he actually made it a, you know, pseudo flight simulator slash, you know, arcade game that is based on it. And uh, he also ended up ended up getting on the strength of these two programs, the one you're seeing right now and P51, he got hired by Tandy Fort Worth in their software area. And he actually ended up being one of the principal people involved with Deskmate, both the Coco version and the Tandy 1000 line. So he's our guest next week. So if you have any questions on any of that kind of stuff or what his days at Tandy were like, uh, join us next week for that. And we'll be playing a full promo with a little bit of uh, words from Brian himself a little bit later in the show. But I thought it was kind of ironic that Marlon picked uh, this game this week, the week before we have the author of the game on uh, on the show itself. So uh, I did reach out to Marlon on the comments and said, you know, if you want to pop by and ask him any questions yourself here, feel free to join us. So I didn't hear a response back. I know he's work schedules nuts these days just like mine is um so i'm not sure if we'll make it but hopefully you can and this next one not strictly coca related um most of you know that super pitfall steve bjork um a coca three only game and one of the better looking ones um had a version for the nes nintendo system uh those are the only two i knew of uh, High Retro Game Lord, of course, does game videos on every single system under the planet. He went through the Coco series a few years back where he spent quite a bit of time going through just tons and tons of gameplay videos. I uh, found him one for the PC-88 by Neck. Now, this one, he says he thinks this is the best version. He thinks the Coco 3 version is the second best and that the Nintendo is the dead last one as far as playability goes. But this one looks a bit different, and it looks like it plays a bit different. First of all, it doesn't scroll. It, it jumps between screens. But there's also some graphical elements and some stuff that's been added to the game so this is like an alternate take i don't think steve had any involvement with this version whatsoever but uh we'll have to wait till we can hear from steve himself on the answer to that i think that's a simulated clicking of the drive Because you can see right off the bat, you look totally different. The graphics are quite different color-wise. It doesn't scroll up and down. You go between, and I don't remember little fires and stuff being on there. So I'm thinking the maps are probably somewhat different, too. I don't remember this in the, our version or the NES version. The music is similar. Same thing. Said on YouTube chat that no, he was not involved with this. Okay. Now the gold bricks, the frogs—I mean, that's all from the original shooting bullets and stuff here. But the uh, 
I don't remember those little fire pits, for example. So it's an interesting take on the game. It's uh, from what High Retro Game Lord has said about it in the comments. He he thinks it it plays the best out of everything. I thought that was just a rather interesting take. You can watch the whole video. There's there's quite a few different scenes where the colors and stuff start changing and the backgrounds get quite a bit different. Um, you're kind of in the gray area. But a lot of, you know, a lot of the design, the, the, the maps have at least some similarity with the original versions that we're used to uh, with a few tweaks here and there from what I can tell. Anyway, interesting take in the game. So check out the full video on High Retro Game Lords YouTube page. And that's all I have for the game on news. Okay. Shall we take the uh, first commercial break and then go into the regular news? Yeah, and you might as well put up Brian's little uh, yeah. plug for his uh, interview next week. Gotta grab the right mouse. Let all us right. know if you hear echo on this, guys. I'll mute mine. Hello, my name's uh, Brian Bruderer. I made uh, P-51 and Space Raiders. You can catch me live on Coco Talk, February 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Hi, Retro Tech Heads, Data Soup here. You're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and proudly Patreon sponsored by RetroTechTime.com. At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler. Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Ken Reichard, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S, Tony C, and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, 
it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool cocoa periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco 123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? We now return you to Coco Talk. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. Who's new to Discord this week? SLC. My name is Tom. I'm from Norway. I'm mainly into Commodore 64. But the Coco has been the desired computer to have in my collection for a while. I mainly spend my time archiving Commodore 64 tapes and coding the tools to verify integrity. Currently, my tool supports maybe 95 to 97% of all commercial tapes for Commodore 64 ever released. I am a bit stuck on a few things about the machine and I have absolutely zero experience with the system. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to, Melly. Boysontech. Paul Fiscarelli, Eric Canales, Terry Stagey, and the Cocotalk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocotalk.live.
what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Boyle. Welcome back, folks. I uh, just wanted to mention that in the chat there, uh, Steve York actually is there, and he mentioned he had nothing whatsoever to do with that neck port of the uh, Super Pitfall game. So right from the horse's mouth. Okay, so first off in the news here, and I hope this is going to work okay because these images are flipping huge, and I already shrunk them just to get them to work. And uh, can I share yet? I can't share yet. Okay, go ahead. Okay, you guys seeing that? Yes. Give me up. Good, Rick. <laughs> yes. So uh, we've been following Roger Taylor's uh, kind of slow destruction of a gimme chip to go through the layers to figure out what it looks like. And he just released yesterday some super high res pictures of the gimme with various levels of acid bath, I believe is what the different acid ones are. And then also the raw metal. These images are like 28,000 by 28,000 pixels. They're 170 meg each in JPEG compressed format. Now, I made special versions here because when I was loading those up, it was taking so long to even scroll it or anything else uh, that would be pretty well unusable in the show. So I shrunk them down pretty drastically to get them here in fairly decent quality. Um, but this here is, for example, the acid level one bath, I guess. And I, I won't show you zooming up all of them, but uh, you can kind of zoom up and see, you know, in, intricate little details here because it kind of re-renders. You can see the people that did it up in the corner. But the oh, level yeah. of detail in this is just flipping amazing. I can see the 256 color mode. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> you can see, you see like the pin number here on the side. Now, at this level, you can't see the pins themselves too much. I guess this, this is where the pins actually are. But you can see all the different parts of the chip and the, like the intricacy of the circuits and stuff here. And you've got to consider this is a very simple chip compared to modern times. Um, and it still looks, you know, hideously complex. I don't know how you electronic guys do this stuff. Like, how do you design something with this much of a hodgepodge of stuff here? I don't even understand it. I'll, I'll leave Pedro and Rick to answer that question. One guy did that little teeny tiny little bitty bit up in the upper left corner there, but that's all he ever did, and he was there for 22 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> Any comments from you, Pedro, since you also helped design circuits and stuff? You're muted. You're, you're muted, Pedro. Yeah, I wish I could do that. Uh, it looks, I'm kind of confused because it looks like I'm looking at a shopping mall here. And it's, uh, you know, there. Yeah, this is the map of where uh, Stevie and Jason were earlier, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I see it. I see it. Yeah. No, I wish I could do stuff. I mean, I, I basically, Kind of understand it, you know how they etch in, how they etch away stuff to make transistors and stuff, and then uh, you get a bunch of transistors together to simulate uh, components and stuff. And and in theory, I understand it, but oh, <laughs> this is fantastic! But it it gets deep so quick, like you have to put things in certain places because the timing of the electrons going across the chip. And they might yeah. jump wires nowadays. And, 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 yeah, and it's just whoa. 
and capacitances <laughs> that'll, you know, just happen because, you know, because things are so close to each other. Look, yeah. that's, that's how uh, my keyboard looked when I opened it up, you know, and saw all the buttons and things. And <laughs> <Yeah>. wires. <laughs> that's me with anything with soldering, really. Um, I could be making an RS-232 cable and this is what it looks like to me. <laughs> and they did this on paper and photo reduced the paper. Yeah, like the original 6809 design, this is this entire thing, this type of thing for the 6809 chip was hand drawn. It was like, you know, done by draftsmen. They had to wear special socks to walk across the paper to work on certain parts. Of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just my mind. And I mean, the gimme, I don't know how many transistors are in the gimme. Maybe 100,000 if you're lucky. Um, and, and I mean, modern chips have how many? Was it, were we into trillions yet or are we still in the, you know, 10 billion range? I don't know. If we're in the trillions. I'm not sure. But yeah, but it's, it's, just, it's just insane. It's insane. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, it's come to the point where the number of transistors doesn't matter. Efficiency doesn't matter. We've got yeah. so many transistors to throw at it. Just And now quantum physics is what matters because it's literally just, jumping barriers. Well, just, well that's <laughs> going to be the next thing is we, yes, we can throw 10 trillion transistors at it, but it makes it too difficult. I mean, makes it too complex from here to there. Yeah, well, and you got to worry about heat and stuff too. Like if you get too many things running too close together, it'll we'll, heat up too much and start crashing. We'll have to simplify again just to get things physically closer together to make the speed come up more. I mean, they're well, almost measuring these traces in atom widths now. Yeah. yeah. Mark Siegel's yeah. on the stream uh, Facebook. He says the uh, gimmies were done on a computer. Yeah, so the 689 was definitely done by hand. I've seen the pictures of the... Yeah. But yeah, it's insane. Anyway, I'll just, I won't go through zoom up all of them here unless you guys want to see something in particular, but I'll go through the different stages here. Now, they, he called them acid one through acid five. So I'm assuming the acid bath like strips a layer off and then you get to see what's underneath that. You keep working your way down. Yes. Right. Destroy more and yes. more. And yeah. Yeah. So this is acid bath number two. And then uh, acid bath number three. Now this was this wasn't a multi-layer board though, or multi-layer chip design, was it? Was it a just a two-layer? Well, they, they in, inherently are. I mean, you've got the X and Ys and different layers of substrates of different doping levels of silicon, and so as you eat through, not only do you see the interconnections, but you see what's inside each transistor, if you will. Okay. So. So four didn't see much of a change there. There's five. She's looking a bit more bare. And then this one he labeled as metal. So that one I think I lose in a bit. Yeah. Uh, Mark is saying even ROMs are like this. How many volts go across those lines? I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're headed towards zero as fast as we can. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty low, isn't it? Yeah, these were five volt chips. I and believe then so. 3.3 volts got super deal, and now a lot of CPUs are using, you know, one volt or less, or just over one volt. And inside the it, chip, you go lower. Yeah. I, I just don't know what the voltage is. 
And it's beautiful. This looks like, I mean, you could put this on a canvas and it could look like it could be some Yeah, hang it up with wall art in the museum yeah. or something, right? Oh, wallpaper in my house and, you know, hey, that's one chip. <laughs> I, I could totally see this in an art gallery. So what is that, a hair? <laughs> I have no idea. There's it's a few like of them or whatever. Or there might be, you know, bits of nah, I think those whatever are left over from the acid bath. Well, you know how big a gimme is, so scroll back and this is somewhere in the middle of that. I think each pin will have a wire that goes in. And... Yeah. Well, these, these right. big circular well, things near the top here, that's the actual pins going out to the pins that plug into the socket, right? Well, no, the, the big lumps are the wires that go out to the carrier yeah. to the pins. Yeah. So those wires is... are hair, hair thin. Right. You saw a couple of the hair thin wires, like the last scroll back, I think. This one? Yeah, there's a couple there. Yeah. We have I mean, no what, idea, do we? <laughs> well, th those are the teeny tiny, when you see the inside of a chip and there's teeny tiny little less than a hair wires, those are yeah. the ones that we, those, you know, those are like that size stuff is the, you can, anyway. Yeah, so like an EEPROM under a magnifying glass. So they have to um, stay within certain ranges to keep uh, wires away from each other, right? Or, or the voltage would jump or, or not? Well, and you get yeah. capacitance and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's why lower and lower voltages for everything. So you can yeah. get tighter and tighter together. Here you can tell it's 1987 gimme with their uh, code word for that particular one, Tortilla. <laughs> I'm not sure what the other numbers mean. And that is that the VLSI logo, the original one? Right it below VTI. Or VTI? What does that stand for? Very tiny insights. <laughs> very, <laughs> very large scale integration. It says 2030 there. That's when it expires. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what those numbers on the side are. I honestly don't. I don't know. You can see, like in the lower left, you can see that kind of blue distorted uh, color of the metal there. You can, I'm, I'm assuming that's the acid bath damaging the metal a little bit, maybe at that point. So those letters are pretty tiny. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if I scroll up this entire thing, this is the the interior of the gimme chip. I mean, the gimme chip packaging is larger than the gimme chip in, internally. Like if you remove the cover, by uh, far, the chip itself, it's a tiny oh, little yeah. square that's maybe a quarter the size yeah. of the chip. You know, the, uh, what we consider the chip itself. Yeah, generally that's the chips are that way. You know, the packaging is way bigger. Yeah. And that's basically to make room for wires to come out to go into sockets and stuff, you know, for pins. Yeah. So this is like really small. So is a, is the silicone little tiny chips here and there, or is it actually the, the lines that are made from the silicone? Your silicone. It's, it's actually, actually the layers. Not. It's like the layers this acid is eating through comprise the silicon so you have a base layer and then you have a, a contrasting polarity layer and you have another base layer and it's all just smashed onto this one thing so as the acid eats through you're sort of getting the n layer and then the p layer and then the next n layer and it's so you're looking at silicon yeah it's like a layer cake where you've got one kind of material is the base layer and then you've got another layer above it that is electrically different. They're both different kinds of silicon with different kinds of impurities added. 
and it's the junctions and where those layers intersect that give it the electrical capability their circuit needs. Well, I can make one of those then, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're going to need a couple more bucks. But, it yeah. can be about a 20 transistor <laughs> cake, I think, in your case, Ron. Hundred thousand. Throw it in the oven. Mix it up. Throw it in the oven. Explain it so well. No, it's just fascinating that we actually, after all these years, finally managed to see the full interior of a gimme chip. And like I said, I've already reduced these down by 25% on each axis. So these are much smaller than the actual ones that Roger uploaded to Facebook. Like I said, they're 170 meg compressed each image. And if you want to see the full details, uh, I would go grab those. I tried running them on here and it was bogging my machine down so badly. I just said, I can't do this live. So is this the actual color we're looking at too, or has it been changed? I, I'm assuming it's the proper color because there is some on some of the other acid layers here. It gets quite to be quite different, as you can see here. We're digging into the copper here, are we? Is that what it is? I have no idea. <laughs> Looks like when I take a picture of your heat. Uh, Values. Yeah, and infrared. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Or, like you say. I mean, this is fascinating. There's a guy I saw, you know, a video of a guy who's doing this stuff in his house and he's actually making chips in his house somehow. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're, he, they're tater chips, is what they are. They're tater chips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You can actually see they're actually starting to eat through the metal into the substrate and uh, losing the, the text a little bit. Okay, it is yeah. acid, very, very corrosive. But fascinating stuff. Now, whether now you guys that actually do hardware and are familiar with designing hardware and stuff here, I mean, everybody's been speculating does the original 86 Gimme possibly have remnants of some of these extra modes that Mark mentioned during the interview that they were originally planning on but never came out in the final release versions of the chip? Though the, the 86 Gimme does have some quirks that Nick and a few others have discovered that looks like it might have had remnants of it, just not fully operational. Um, at this level of detail, is there any way to figure out if that stuff is legitimately in there or spots of it are in there or anything like that? Or do you have to really understand the chip first to even have a clue what any of this means? Well, I couldn't say for sure, but I know reverse engineering these chips, this is one of the steps in reverse engineering these things. Uh, I know, you know, China does this sort of stuff when they're going to uh, make their own chip. But I, I imagine that you can look at a, a group of stuff and say, well, this is what, you know, this section more or less does. The entire process is documented at visual6502.org. When they went through and took yeah. apart an old Intel 4004 and then a 6502, and they did all these scans and then used software to build a network list of what all the different traces and vias and things meant and be, to be able to recreate the chip itself fully as software. So yeah, these are, these are some of the early steps, but then yes, you can take these pictures and you can trace them both electronically and uh, visually just look, you know, People that do this kind of engineering can look and start to identify what the different kinds of sections of the chip are for and what the components are for. And then the process that from end to end is on that website. So they have a simulation of uh, 6502 playing Space Invaders or something like that. Um, and how it all worked 
including how the software works. So you can see how they, they trace the net list out, things like that. So give that site a shot if you want to get all the way end to end on how this kind of thing works. I think I've seen that site actually. But what's the site again? Visual6502.org. Oh, Visual6502, okay. Uh, they also did the ARM chip, the Intel 4004. They're adding more chips all the time. Cool. And they have a simulator that you can put um, hex codes or assembly code in and watch it execute gate by gate across the chip. Very, very cool stuff. So the pictures were analyzed uh, both by software and people, I imagine? Yes. Okay. And they had to take the software analysis and fix some of the guesses because it didn't trace the traces exactly right. So they had right. to yeah, kind of help sure. it go, no, this is where this line actually ends and this is some other gate, things like that. Okay. But they wow. have and you should be able to backtrace within the chip, I'm assuming, because each pin has a designated function that is publicly available and known, you know, what, what each pin does. So you can kind of trace, you know, that pin to the circuitry to figure out, you know, this is controlling the timer interrupt or something like that. If you Well, you got your black box problem. There is so much inside the black box that, no, <laughs> it's... Yeah, um, that's why they use software to uh, kind of leverage a lot of that, looking at the picture and the, the pinouts. But so the software kind of scan through and figure out that this circuit ends up going out to this yeah, pin or, and goes through these other circuits or whatever. Traces. But you yeah. can watch it go gate by gate, and you can see where when you put the opcode in, these are all the lines that light up, and this is exactly what goes through inside the chip to the outputs. It's amazing. And you can watch it step through it. So it, it, you... Just give it, give it a run, and you'll get a pretty good visual view of how this stuff works. It doesn't make you an engineer, but at least it's it, it gives you an idea of what the lightning is doing inside the rock. Tweet, yeah, yeah. Anyway, especially for you hardware guys, but also if you know, people want you know like full color prints on the wall type thing. I think this is a fascinating, and so it's a fascinating no. bit of cocoa history too. And like I said, at any reasonable level of detail, I could do my whole living room in a wallpaper of this. Yeah. And well, it wouldn't repeat. It would just be the one. There, there's six <laughs> photos, Rick, there, all 24,000 by 24,000 pixels. So, right. Right ahead. so if I just had a whole bunch, my old graphics printer from when I worked at the call center uh, that did the four foot wide sheets. Yeah, that would have been great. Like I'm inside the chip. I know how it <laughs> I probably would have got fired for using up all of the printer ink, but for those that, of you who see the original movie Tron when you're getting zapped into the computer, this is what you, you see go. on the way down. This is it. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> Turn left at the third NAND gate. Yeah. Oh, wait, where was that here? Was that in row five? Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's amazing stuff. Now we just need an adventure game where you actually go in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can make a core oh, wars where you're cool. actually controlling yeah. the gates yourself here and you have to travel through this entire honk and big map. Well, there you go, yeah. Nick. You've got your next game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, definitely go check it out. It, it's on Facebook. Um, I think Roger's got a the Patreon site too, where you, I think he's got these things here as well. And of course, if you're on the Patreon, I think you get some stuff earlier than the rest of the public sees. Um but I mean, they are trying to figure out if there is any you know, hints of some stuff in, in there. Um, they haven't done this level of detail yet on the 86 Gimme, which is the one that potentially does have some leftovers of some of the extra hardware features that uh, had been planned but never released. So 
like like Nick, you you'd mentioned that you you found some quirky bits where if you write to one location, it shows up on the video I put in two. Yeah, some weird things. Yeah. So, but the yeah, eighty-seven be... gimme, which is what we're looking at now, did not have any of those weird. Bits. Wow, <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> the early one would be more interesting because it would be cruder, which means it would be easier to figure out what they were doing. Is yeah. that a real word? Well, we can, you know. we can try it in uh, Cocodol and, and find out. Yeah. yeah, see if it works. No, it's too long. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, definitely go download it and check it out. It's on Facebook in the Coco group. Uh, it's on Roger's Patreon, uh, which we've covered before in the show. Um, if you want to you know, further Roger's work here, because this is not the cheapest thing in the world to do all this kind of stuff either. And you're, of course, you're destroying these chips. I mean, you, the only way you can get to this level of detail is these acid bath stuff. The chip is completely non-functional at this point. So you're sacrificing gimmies to do this. I have some to sacrifice. If anyone needs gimmies with all their little legs broke off, some of my customers have given me some. So <laughs> what, I can't remember. Was Roger asking for some other ones to do? Oh, no, he was asking if he could get one of the prototype ones from the pre yeah, yeah. release. No, no one cares anymore. <laughs> All right, it, it's good stuff. So, yeah, it's really cool. I'll stop that share because that was in a completely different program. It was really crashing my browser when I tried to leave these in there. So, actually, use the graphics viewer instead. So, we'll switch now to the regular stuff. Okay. So after that, Guillaume Major has released the latest full download, which he does every once in a while here, where he basically takes every single thing that's on the Color Computer Archive and makes one big zip download you can go for the SDC. Cool. Uh, so if you've joined the Coco community later or you got an older version of it and you don't want to try to hunt down every single thing that's been added since you, know, you got a big batch two years ago or something, you can go to this specific URL and actually get the current SDC. Now you see here, it's a 343 meg zipped download, which contains magazines, documentation, um, hardware manuals, software of all kinds from games to operating systems to productivity apps to everything else. So that's basically the entire collection in one. And he also has a bit of a change log you can also click on here if you wanna kind of go through and see what's been added in different parts. And then he's got them kind of categorized too. And he actually goes through mentioning what all has been updated. Sometimes you get updated fixes to programs. You might get something that, you know, was a little bit corrupt the first upload and it doesn't quite play right or has some weird, you know, pirate screen that scrambles stuff. So he'll mention that, you know, we've, we've got a fixed version of that. And then he also gives you when he's done other updates here too. So you can see like the previous update was actually done in August of 2020. And the current one is up to February 11th here. Um, but there's there's a lot of stuff I'm not going to go through everything here. But definitely, if you if you if you've joined the Coco community lately, or you just got a Coco SD for the first time, and you want to get a really up to date batch of every single piece of software, plus the magazines, plus documentation, everything else, uh, go grab this. Um, the URL is in our uh, news topic suggestions in the Coco Talk uh, part of our Discord. If you want to grab the link for it, or you can see it on the top of the screen here right now, maybe if. Depending if you're running it maybe on an actual computer, not a phone. Um, but anyway, go grab that. He does these every once in a while. It's been a couple of years since he did the last one, about a year and a half, just about. And uh, it, it definitely helps if you've not been in the Coco community very long and you don't even know where to start. This will give you everything, and then you can just go run through it all and find stuff you like. So thanks, Gwen, for that. Next up, uh, Terry Steggy, um, who runs the Retro Tech Time. He actually did the commercial for the Coco Fest that we saw earlier. 
Um, he's got his own YouTube channel and he does his own videos here. So this time he did a mail call. So this is basically stuff that people have sent him in the mail. Now I'm going to play one little bit of it here. I'll mention some of the other things first. So basically there's a lot of Cocoa stuff in here. He's got, you know, some software that's come in the original packaging. Uh, like he's got the screen dump utilities, for example, that came in the plastic case with the cassette, with the manual and everything else. And the, the plastic see-through case hasn't even yellowed. He's got a pristine one. It looks really nice shape. Um, he's also got some realistic stuff like, you know, Radio Shack stuff that's not technically the Coco. Uh, so he's got a mixture of different things that he's received. Um, but this one here I want to show is one that he's curious about. And I don't know if anybody else has seen this. So basically, we know that there was a, a redistributed version of the Coco 1F board called the TP100, Tandy Distributor Products. And we've all seen it. it. It looks like a Coco 2 case, basically, with a different label on it. It had their own branded versions of joysticks and some of the cartridge games, etc. Now, what he found here in this person sent them this one is that it's it's actually a Coco 1 case, like the 64K Coco 1. So the white case, the full-size Coco 1, not the TDP. The TDP 100 label is metal, metallic, so it's professionally done. It's not like a hack job that somebody just did on their own. Uh, but it doesn't look the same as the regular TDP labels either. So he's wondering if this was an, either a, a prototype TDP 100, not for official release, or an extremely early version of the TDP 100 that maybe only had a few different versions made. Now, Ron, you've got a TDP 100 in your background right now, I can see. So yeah. you can see that it's got that little center label that says TDP 100. It's a, very, a square label that's quite small. This actually is a badge that fits it across where the Coco one normally would be. So I will play that clip and you guys can kind of check it out. Thanks for watching. Thank you to subscriber Rick983. Rick sent in a really, really interesting machine to me. Um, he actually donated it. Um, so I'm going to take it apart and see if I can figure out exactly what it is. It says that it's a Coco One, which it looks like it from the case and from all of the ports that are on it. The interesting thing, though, is when you look at the top, it actually says it's a TDP Electronics System 100 personal computer. This machine has me pretty perplexed. I'm wondering if it was possibly a pre-production run for the TDP-100. Um, the case badge looks to be legitimate as far as uh, its metal. Uh, it's embossed, but it does not look like a standard TDP-100 badge. I'm going to do a special video on my TDP collection. Um, so I will bring this back and put that in that video as well as a comparison but uh, at this point I am not sure what to make of this machine. So thoughts Ron I mean you've got a TB100 a few of the other people here too like that that looks like like even the bottom label says Radio Shack so it looks like a yeah. Coco 1 the 64k yeah. Coco 1 that was released in September of 83 or what's when it was announced in Rainbow anyway. Yeah I would say so maybe it is a, a early thing. Who knows somebody could have made the plate up you know I mean, that's the only thing that's different, right? Just the plate. Yeah, but he said it's like, it's metallic, it's embossed. Like somebody would have had to spend some money to make that. Yeah. That's not something you could just jury rig up quickly. You'd have to spend some money on that. So maybe it is a prototype. I don't know. Could be. Have well, you ever well, seen a TDP label that looks like that? Like wide no. and narrow though? And it doesn't say 100 on it either. Oh, that's you know, right. Just a TDP system. What does it say? TDP electronics, all the system 100s to the side. Okay. Yeah, but, personal computer. Yeah. Yeah. On. Um, yeah.
Now, yeah, what, what, no. I, like, I know the label on a real TDP, quote unquote, is a square Ooh. label. What does it say exactly on that? Oh, yeah, mine says TDP electronics in the blue and then system 100 personal computer. And then under that, it says 16K RAM extended. Okay, so it actually has the specs of the computer too. So, and yep. this one, the label doesn't even fill the hole well and so forth. So, maybe it is some kind of well, thrown together Mark, demo prototype. Mark, they've been educational. Oh, okay, maybe. I don't know if the TDP came with a, a chiclet keyboard. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. The white case never came out with a chiclet keyboard, did it? The white case Coco One didn't. It came out with a melted keyboard. Yeah, it never yeah, came so out with that TDP. one. Yeah. yeah, that that keyboard never did. So it's that's a, a bit weird one. too. Yeah, and the other thing too, if, if this is an educational TDP one hundred, I would think it would say TDP one hundred on the bottom. I'm sure yours does, Ron. Right? Yeah. Then it's yep. this one says Radio Shack. It says TDP on the top case. What's inside? Has he got? Yeah, he hasn't opened it up yet. He said he's going to do a future oh, okay. video going into it. He just received it. This was his mailbag call episode. So basically stuff that got don donated to him. But this looks in rather intriguing. Like this might be a, a rather unique piece of history or it's a cobbled together homemade. Yeah, it could even be a cobbled one. Yeah. So I'd be interesting to see what's on the inside. If I remember correctly, the, uh, the TDP 100 circuit board, is it an F board or is it a Coco 2 style board? Somebody know off the top of their head? Nope. And if it's cobbled together, he might have just made that badge up to fill in. Yeah, uh, but whoever did do that, then like did some expense to it because it's a metallic embossed, like three-dimensionally embossed label. It's not just a flat, you know, cheapy thing. Mm. It's it's something you would have spent some money on. Or went to a printer to print it out. Oh, I don't know. But it is a Pearson computer, so. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was I thought that was interesting. I'm mean, like like so like Terry is. I'm I'm a bit perplexed by this too. So uh, I'm I'm interested to see what the insides look like. Is it a standard F board, 64k like a Coco One, like the case seems to reflect. Um, and you know, the fact that the bottom case has the Radio Shack stickers, not TDP electronic stickers, which you know, from what Ron said, that sounds like the actual TDP production run ones actually have TDP stickers in the bottom, not Tandy or Radio Shack ones. I mean, pretty cool stuff. So, Terry, we're looking forward to your follow-up video where you rip the thing apart and we get to see what's on the inside. Then we'll give it an acid bath and make wallpaper out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or it's been spray-painted. Because <laughs> it's very white. Yeah, one know. other thing I was trying to remember, like the, the Coco One 64K model, the white one, did they have the white around here? Or did the plastic, uh, or the yeah, melty yeah, keyboard fill like that, that whole thing? I that, can't remember. That is, it was, that's right. Okay. Well, I got a picture of a um, TDP 100 in a box with a chiclet keyboard with a oh. different case. So it did come with a chiclet, mm. I guess. Yeah, I seem to recall the very first TDP ads in Rainbow, I think, did have the chiclet keyboard, if I remember. Oh, okay. I think the later ones went with melted. I can't remember, though. Yeah, I, I mean, when the Coco 164K that this, this case is based on came out, that's just when they were transitioning from chiclet to the melted. And the Coco 2s, as far as I know, none of them had chiclet keyboards. They were all the melty keyboard. Yeah. Is Mark Siegel on the line still? Yep. Could ask him. Yeah, he said that that would have been a plastic insert. I'm assuming he's talking about the top label. 
So not a stick. I have a picture of the insides of my TDP 100. Do you want to see it? Yeah, I can stop sharing for that. Just to... Okay. As we live research this on the air. <laughs> Do you see it? Yep. Yep. Looks like a cocoa. <laughs> Yeah, it's even got the 285 part number in the lower left corner, which is the F board number, isn't it? Yeah. Hmm. So this is basically an F board, 64K Cocoa F board. This had a um, some kind of a mod for the video. Yeah, that was, that, oh, yeah. But I took it out. So. I think it's so, a shield over the RAM there. I remember that from the Cocoa version. So I've got a uh, F board case top. Oh, what? you want to share yours too then? Sure, no, but I just, uh, there you can see it. So the uh, gray uh, is just painted along with the rest of the uh, case. Mm. Yeah, that I do remember. And then the Cocoa One was white, I think, with the melty keyboard. Yeah, let me see if I can get back to the gallery so everyone can still see it. Yeah, it's dirty. But uh, yeah, but also, you know, the, 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 logo, the brand badge, there's no hole for that anymore. Yeah. Nick yeah, the last one that had that was the E boards, as far as I know. Uh, back right. when they still, well, the F, the D board and C board, I think at 4K and 16K only. The uh, F board had 16 and 32. I don't think they even made E boards with 4K. And then they, once they got to the F board or 285 board, they just removed it entirely. That's when they started selling them only at 16 or 64. So paint it white and it's going to look just like the one and the that he has. Oh, yeah. And Mark did say most of the PD TDP were bulk buys, so they could have had any version in them. <laughs> yeah, I'm betting that was just an early, uh, an early buy. Yeah, I guess the one thing I'd be curious then was it an official one or was it like a prototype or kind of getting the design? I'll figure out what they wanted to actually sell it as. Because the Cocoa One case that that one's in, and the uh, TDP case, if I remember, aren't quite the same. Yeah, like the air holes and stuff are completely different. Like that's a totally different design pop. So there's the uh, chiclet keyboard right in the box. Yeah. yeah. And the case is different. I mean, you've got the black background, not white. You've got the air holes as wide slats, not just on the edges. Mm -hmm. That's not even the same molding. Yeah. Like it's a totally different case. Yeah. Hmm. But did you see the, the badge on the manual you just had there? Yeah, uh, it's the same as the badge that they. That's that, true. It is. You want to show that again, Ron? I missed that. Yeah, show it again. It? Yeah, you're right. Okay, hang on. Share screen. Share. Ta-da! It is yeah. the same. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. That kind of fixes it. It's probably a real thing. Oh, the badge in the manual. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Mystery solved. Yep. Just an early, an early run. But didn't Mark say that badge would have been a plastic insert and not just a metal sticker label? You know, like yeah, he was the, speculating yeah. about that. I saw that in the chat. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say. But that. I know no, Terry. If you listen to the video, he actually says it's a metallic <laughs> label well, with it, embossing, three D embossing. So that's that's not a plastic insert, I don't think. Well, you can't get when he opens it. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait for a Terry's sequel uh, on that one. Yet. So Terry, get on it already. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see what's we on the inside more. of that sucker. 
And in particular on the inside of the top case, if there's any mention, like, you know, sometimes there's little scrawled notes and stuff or signatures from people that have, you know, quality tested or whatever to see what they've got in there. Yeah, like the, uh, like that. Oops. Mm. Yeah. Because it, it, would, it would at least date the case somewhat to ah, kind of get a rough idea. Damn graffiti artist. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the uh, logo at the top. So that's one of those rubberized uh, metallic ones. Another plasticky thing. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's on my machine. And look at the. Yeah, the joystick's oh, got it yeah. too. Joystick. Yeah. Yep. Well, even the cartridges said TDP 100 on them too. They're blue too, weren't they? That was probably when they had uh, more money to invest in, uh, you know, different layout or different uh, marketing, brand, like a brand identity. Yeah, because these these were sold in non Radio Shack stores. So was TDP a separate company completely, or just no, rebranding? Tandy just Radio Shack wouldn't sell Radio Shack outside of Radio Shack. Right, so Tandy right. Data Products was just okay. Here's Radio Shack crap that doesn't have anything to do with Radio Shack. We're Tandy now. Just a different it's division just, of the. Parent it's just weird. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, and as far as I understand, and Mark, you can correct me if I'm wrong in the chat there, but I, I understand that Tandy Distributor Products was meant for a way to distribute Tandy stuff to non-Tandy Radio Shack stores. You could sell it in an RCA store or whatever else. Um, but it was essentially, you know. Tandy equipment just rebranded so that it uh, detached itself from the Radio Shack branding. You just sell it in Sears. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it was, was a fairly short lived experiment, too. Didn't it only last like eight months or a year or something? I don't remember the TDPs uh, hanging around in the rainbow ads too much. I know Spectrum Projects, Bob Rosen bought a whack load of them and he included joysticks and the super bust out cartridges as a little package to sell it a bit cheaper than you know Tandy was selling them at the time. Here, here's one more screen to share. It's uh, a Coco 2 next to it. See the difference or the similarities, mm -hmm. I guess. <laughs> the vents are the same, but, uh, and it, you know, it has that dip. Yeah, it's a bit longer and it's also got the uh, kind of a lip for your wrist, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Is that raised a bit? Yep. It's got the lighter keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> looks yeah. like it's great. What, what does TDP stand for? Tandy Data Products. Tandy Data Products. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, I always thought it meant Tandy Distributor Products, but I must have got that from some wrong source. And Mikey in the chat, uh, he says that I remember playing with the TDP 100 in the store. Don't remember if it was a Sears or a Montgomery Ward. So definitely that was you know outside of Radio Shack. Yeah, I remember Sears and Dallas had them. So yeah, I don't ever remember seeing TDPs up in Canada unless somebody I, ordered it mailed. I, it I remember this because my mom had a Sears credit card and I really wanted her to buy me a computer. <laughs> Did wouldn't. you guys ever notice that there's a difference between the white case and the um, gray case Coco One? you know um the molding like i have a little example I, i'll just share it real quick and see if you've ever seen this difference do you see this there's a actual embossing around oh that line oh yeah and it oh, doesn't okay. it doesn't have one on the on the gray case and it does here uh that's so they could put a new insert in the mold and change the back panel Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but that was that was around the time they were starting to design the deluxe Coco too. So maybe that was part of. And and these are screen printed, and these are embossed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that fits that custom insert. Yeah. Actually, I'm trying to remember. 
between the D and E boards and the F board and the Coco one, like the original gray ones, didn't it? It was embossed on some and printed on others. I think the F boards were usually embossed too. Yeah, see how the gray it's cases. A line, a line that goes around and down, and and there's a line around the um, switch there. You know this this one I've got in my hands here is uh, embossed with that line. You want to show that there? Is it, uh, is it gray? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Zoom, zoom yourself up there, uh, Mark, so we can see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what the F-board uh, ones I remember seeing, because I have quite a few friends of mine here that had, had the F-board ones, and it was embossed. Yeah. The D&Es had the black, you know, label over print stuff. Yeah, so it's got that that line, that, uh, what you call that, that line all the way around it there, too. So you just spray paint that white, and you've got a white case one. Yeah, the yeah. TDP has that, yeah. too. Yeah. The TDP has that embossed line, too. I, I'm yes. guessing, and Mark, correct me if I'm wrong once again here, but uh, I, I'm guessing because at this point, this was in mid to late 83, the Deluxe was already well into design and that they probably wanted to make a generic top case minus the back panel so they could swap in the Deluxe Cocoa, which you know had composite ports and had a serial port and some other stuff that you would need some cutouts for. And rather than have to redo the entire case as a separate mold, you just do the one little back panel. Yeah, so that's a D board. Yeah, that's what I had in my D board. Yeah, well, you were on, I'd say too. At least the three, the, the embossed ones actually, they you can still read them forty years later. Was the D and E board ones? Those things would just rub off, and you eventually couldn't remember what the hell was what unless you knew the <laughs> connectors. <laughs> cool. So, hey, Terry, get get on that other one here. Just uh, drop anything else you're doing and, and just do that video. I want to see what's going on. <laughs> Before the end of the show. <laughs> well, Everybody go check five. out his channel. And uh, he's, of course, been doing our production ads and stuff for the Cocoa Fest and stuff, too, as well. So he's got a lot of interesting stuff on yeah. his uh, channel. So, uh, by the way, in the, in the chat, Mark is mentioning that uh, some of the uh, 1000s were TDP models also. Hmm. Really? Oh, I never saw those. Me neither. Cool. Anyway, now we're on to some MC10 news other than the Jim Gary stuff. So oh, we've, been covering, <laughs> we've been covering uh, Robert Sieg doing his uh, tile system, which is a machine language driver that links directly into basics. You just use print statements and stuff like that. And he's got eight or six by eight tiles, basically, uh, pixel four color art. And then he's got ways of doing a poke. It'll reset the size of tiles. So you can actually switch where it's printing multiple characters in one shot as one character. And uh, he decided to do an animation here with Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, so I'll play a little bit of this here. And this is all a basic program running. It's just doing print statements to do this. You can see some of the animations he's done here. Now he's filled up like 21 tiles just to do this one particular animation, but it shows that some of the stuff you can do, and this is in basic. So you can actually write some pretty decent games, I think, using the style system that he's got here in, in BASIC. And if you've got you know, some of the memory expander units, which we're going to get into in a later story here with 8-Bits in the Basement, um, you could probably write some pretty decent arcade games now with an MCX BASIC or the SDX32 BASIC. So glad, glad Robert's continuing to work on that. It's bringing up some possibilities of doing some games that would have been impossible to do in BASIC before wow. in the MC10. Sonic on the MC10, that would be a feat. 
<laughs> yeah, it would. <laughs> Having me feet on the cocoa. Oh, yeah. Not impossible. Uh, this one here, it's it's just a it's an MC10 running a random, you know, print a, print a graphic character on the screen, a random tone, but it's by Nick and Felice, which is a channel I've never heard of before. It doesn't have very many views. But I wanted to just show it briefly here because basically we've seen a resurgence of interest in the MC10 lately. Um, in fact, in the Amigos Discord, one of the people there just bought an Alice, the complete one in the suitcase, the red suitcase with the little foam pads for the manual and the MC10, it's, or the, sorry, the Alice itself, some cassettes that came with it, et cetera. And he's pretty excited to be getting into it too. We've seen those uh, ML engine-based games coming from Japan. There's a bunch of them, um, which I'll also be showing a little bit of it a little bit too. But uh, the fact that there's been so much interest in it lately and seems to be picking up steam, I mean, how long is it going to be before it's $300 to pick up an MC-10 is my question. <laughs> so, I mean, everybody's done this program when they first got their Coco type thing, but uh, I don't know if this MC-10 is new to these people or if it's um, something they've had in the closet just brought out, but uh, just to show that, you know, interest in the MC-10 is definitely going up and up. You know, the MC-10 is like a perfect candidate to like recreate such a small board such a small case could be easily 3d printed yeah probably cheaper to make them than to buy them. i'm trying to remember wasn't ed doing a uh, mc10 i thought he did i thought he printed one i know he's done some upgrades like composite video and stuff like that and of course uh brendan's actually done that little riser to fit a coco vga inside of an mc10 yeah so anyway, i don't know if he's still in the chat here but eight bits in the basement was in there earlier i know and uh, he did an episode on the uh MC10, and he actually, uh, he's got the MCX128, uh, 120K RAM, plus the enhanced basic that Darren Atkinson did. Now, like many people in Europe, trying to order anything from the States is really hard and expensive, and you can't get it. And Ed's been, of course, you know, due to various reasons, has had not been had anything in stock. But it, uh, what uh, he discovered here is that Darren Atkinson had actually published the actual schematics and the software to burn on the ROMs, et cetera, on his own site before it became a commercial product. And then, you know, just to be different, I guess, or sadomachistic, masochistic or something, he decided not to actually download Gerber files and get somebody to make the board for it. He decided to hand wire the whole stupid thing. <laughs> so that's what he did here. <laughs> so we'll, <laughs> we'll show that. I'll skip a little bit ahead here. Um, <laughs> he should. <laughs> there's, there's his Alice, as you can see. And it kind of goes to explanation what analysis in case you haven't seen it before. And then he gets into his uh, get a little picture of his his version of the SCX128 here. Hours of sitting over a soldering iron got me this. This here is the finished product. So what we'll do is we'll take a little look at it and uh, just see what it's made up of. And we'll take off the elastic bands and the cardboard and I'll explain to you what exactly it is. Okay, so I'm after, I'm after taking this guy's cardboard and elastic bands off and I'd like to introduce you to the naked version of my hand-built cobbled together MCX. This is a family show. Expansion <laughs> for the Alice this is a very colorful spaghetti. And this guy Incredible amount of work. And a connector here, and the connector plugs into the back of your so Alice nice and expansion port here. And yeah, my experience of soldering have never been like that. And it should work. <laughs> and what makes it work are these four chips here. And just very quickly, what they are this guy here is a 74 LS21. So, this is a dual 
quad input and gate. Down here we have a PLD or a programmable logic device. And this here is a GAL 22V10. This guy is 128 kilobytes of static RAM. This guy that gives us our memory on board or our upgrade. And down here we have a ROM chip, which holds the, the version of MSX Basic that this board gives you. And uh, you can use three different types of ROMs. You can use a 16 kilobyte, a 32, or a 64 kilobyte. Now I've opted to go for the 32 kilobyte, and the reason for that is that the ROM on this board is only 16K big. But I've decided to install the two versions that are available because there is a version for the MC10, as it has a QWERTY keyboard, and there's also another version for the Alice with its Azerty keyboard. So I've installed both versions on this ROM, and I can switch between them using these jumpers down here. So that way, this board that I've built is is compatible. Whoops, with both um, with both versions of it's the French English jumper. So uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty much it now. I will say that I had a lot of fun building this little board and I learned a lot from it and it was great and all the rest. But if it fell on the ground and broke in two, I wouldn't be going to build it again. No, I'd be clicking on the zipster zone and I'd be looking to buy one of these from Ed Snyder because to be honest with you, what he has looks to be a very high quality. It comes in a lovely 3D printed case which kind of beats this hands down. And, um, and it'll work out of the box. Plus, it will save you 11 hours, and they're cheap enough. They only cost $40. And away we'll go and see what this guy can do, eh? So just before we get into looking at that expansion... So anyway, he goes through the various versions of basic. There's three versions that come. There's an, a basic MC10 basic that actually gives you 32K of RAM, basically. And then he goes through the regular MCX enhanced basic and the large MCX enhanced basic. One which gives you roughly 32K, but it assigns you know, some P-mode screens by default, like Extended Basic does. And basically the MCX Basic adds a lot of Extended Basic functionality. You have graphics modes and graphics commands and a bunch of things too. And then there's the large one, which actually basically uses the entire 128K or, or more of it anyway, um, where it actually gives you like 48K free in Basic plus graphics modes and stuff. So it's a pretty enhanced version of Basic. Um, but then he decides to you know, test out the RAM. So he, he does a little bit of... Uh, Pac-Man playing, which we've all seen before. Now, I will say the, the screen colors that are showing up here are not what it really does. This is kind of washed up just from the TV and the camera that he's using. So it doesn't give you the full effect. But one of the things he actually did was playing Maisie, which is a game from the Japanese people that we've talked about doing these engine converts. Unfortunately, I don't know if you guys can even see here, but you can see the maze is in the background. It's a very faintly darker blue. Yeah. I don't know if you guys can quite see that. So this isn't giving it you know, justice to what it really looks like, but uh, it's the first time I've actually seen somebody playing it on the keyboard and the trying to cram you on the arrow keys that are built in. They kind of follow you around, funny little guys. So, ah, he got me. So yeah, you got to pick up the knives and you've got to throw them at the monsters in order to kill the little monsters. And then you get out through the door there that's flashing on the bottom right hand side of the screen. And that's what the game is. And it gets harder and harder as you move on. This again, it's another fun little game, but there is no way that you could have played this with a four kilobyte Alice computer. But there you go. There's some of the games that this guy kind of opens up to you. Anyway, I'll let you guys go and watch the whole video. It's actually pretty, pretty fun. Uh, you know, a bit of tongue in cheek there, you know, having an 11 hour start. I'd like his comments on his case versus the 3D printed one that Ed uses. Um, 
it's a great video. And if you guys want to see how to do the upgrade or how you can you know, get some hints on to building your own nope. CX-128 from scratch. Where, where is he at? He's in France, though I think he's originally from Ireland. Look at that. Electric he's Irish outlet. from France. Or he's in France from Ireland originally. Yeah. Check out that outlet there. Funky looking doodle thing. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I've seen those many times when I've been yeah. there. Yeah. How many volts is that coming out of there? 220. Hmm. So you can power your washer or dryer from your bench. <laughs> yeah, right next to your hair dryer or whatever. <laughs> your cell phone charger. Yeah. <laughs> right next to it. I have to say that looking at the Alice and obviously the MC10, uh, you know, that keyboard is made for a man with thin fingers. <laughs> I, right? I am not that man. <laughs> or, or for young children. Or for young children. Which I think was the market they were kind of shooting for. You pick it up like a phone and thumb type it. So Pedro, I guess your next your next mission is to create the USB keyboard adapter for the MC10 and the Alice. I think it should work. It's you know you think of it, yeah, it is bigger than a phone um keyboard. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not uh, very good at texting on my phone. Yeah, and make sure that you uh put a little uh connector on the side for a uh uh digital joystick. Connected to the keys. Yeah. Well, Ed, Ed had a joystick adapter, or maybe Darren designed that one too. I can't remember, but there was a joystick adapter yeah. for MC10 at one point. And even there was even somebody had made a disk drive adapter for it, so you could plug in a disk drive. I mean, now we've got the uh, the SD one, which gives you 32K RAM, plus it gives you like you know disk style commands and directories and stuff and drive wire support, high drive wire. Now I will mention in here. He was trying to get this running because MCX Basic supports high drive wire, but he couldn't get it to work properly. It just kept giving errors. So, Mikey, if you're in the chat there, you may want to give him a couple comments if you want to help him out on this uh, to try to get it up and running, unless he's figured it out since the video was released. But I know he's having some issues trying to get DriveWire, Pi DriveWire to work with. Uh, with What's the, the processor in that machine again? A th 6803. Okay. Which is basically a 6800 microcontroller version. It's got some extra hardware timers built into it, some static RAM built into the chip itself. Um, but it's, it's, it's more really closely clock. related to 6800 than a 6809. Sorry, what was that wrong? It has an external clock like the 6809. Uh, no, I don't think so, because I think it has an internal timer or three timers. You can actually interrupt control, so I think it's internal. Huh. It'd be like a 6809, not a 6809E. Okay. And there is an Atachi 6303, too, which actually does have a few enhancements, not as anywhere near as many as the 6309 has over 6809, but you can get some enhancements on that chip too. And just, it's a straight plug-in upgrade. I don't know how much software supports that though, if any. Do you know anybody that's done it? Um, yes. Yeah. I, mean, I do know someone who's done it. And the problem is the ROM timings have to all be redone. Like for cassette loads and stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, James uh, Diffendaffer might've experimented too. I'm just trying to remember if he did. Uh, there you go. So you put it in, turn it on, and now is the ROM socketed <laughs> on an MC10, Alice, or is it soldered? I don't think there's anything socketed on the on the MC10. Oh, okay, right. To make upgrading the ROM profile. a bit of a pain in the butt, <laughs> the keyboard is because <laughs> changing keyboard. timing loops in the ROM wouldn't be that hard. And if you could have it running in native mode, where you're getting a 10 to 15 percent speed increase across the board, I don't know. If it's quite that much on the MC10's native mode, but uh, it'd be nice having an enhanced ROM. So when will uh, Nitrous 09 EOU be available for the uh, 
MC10. There's no MMU in the um, MC10, and it doesn't have um, quite as complicated of an interrupt system as we need. Oh, so, so it's never... going to be you know, so it's going to be level one. I wouldn't even be able to do level one. I don't think. Did you do a software MMU? Nope. <laughs> you know. <laughs> nope. It's like, like, Ron, do a software joystick. Yeah. Well, they got right. Sonic on it. Couldn't you do that? <laughs> <laughs> there was a pause between me saying it and you saying nope. <laughs> yeah, it was more like stunned bewilderment. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic effect. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, go check out the video, definitely. Um, next up, we've got Kieran Anscombe who's actually in the chat, I believe, still too. So he's released a new version of his bin to cast um, utility, which basically will take binary files for the Cocoa or the Dragon and then convert them into cast wave, wave files or cast files. I can't remember which one now, top of my head. <clears throat> but basically, his old version had a compressing version option where you could actually have it so it would compress the size of the data so you could load in a bigger program faster than 1500 baht equivalent because it decompresses. Now, what he did here is he's made a new version that lets you bolt on uh, ZX0 decompression, uh, which uses a different utility for creating them. But this compresses better than the DZIP his original version did. Um, the code's a little bit bigger and it's a little bit slower but it will compress more, which means you can you gain more speeding up loading off the tape than you lose from the decompressor running itself. So you can fit, you know, a uh, you know, program might have taken a minute to load. Originally, it might take 50 seconds to load with this or with the original decompression utility, and it might do it in 40 seconds with this. I don't know what the exact ratios are. Uh, but this is a utility that will let you make these fast loaders, and it lets you uh, break it apart into chunks, like you can dip in origin statements and stuff too. Um, and he's actually got... Kind of a description here. Now, this page here, if you guys haven't been to it, is basically his main dragon page. This is Kieran's page. It has a whole bunch of stuff. He's got a little bit of history of the dragon and various things. There's various software, including his extra emulators, dungeons game, blockdown game, um, GDB, you know, DZIP, assembler, blah, blah, blah. So he's got a ton of stuff in here. He's got dragon demos, which does some of the VDG and SAM tricks for doing hardware scrolling using, you know, basically the chips that are built into your Coco 1, 2, or Dragon. And then he's got this new version of the cassette tools here that actually lets you do that. He did mention here both CAS or WAV on the uh, chat. So anyway, if you guys are interested in that, if you want to make you know cassette-based software, which a lot of the Dragon people use because dust drives weren't anywhere near as popular for the Dragon as they were for the Cocoa, mainly due to cost. Um, this is a way to actually get fast loaders working, which I know we've demonstrated, you know, David Ladd doing some experiments with fiddling with the actual waveforms and changing the baud rate itself physically. Um, and then combining with compression. And this is a better compression that David had used back at that time. And I know in his case, I think he had it running up to 16 times faster than normal or something like that. Like he was up at the 15, 20,000 baud or something like that at some point. That so this Dave. might actually increase that even better. I don't know if Dave's still on the call. I know he said he had to step away. From I'm, I'm right here. Oh, okay. I said, ooh. <laughs> so David, you want to just kind of recap what you did? Like, I know you did some experiments with the actual waveform itself, and then you added compression as well. Is that what you did? Well, <clears throat> There's this uh, project that someone did where they made their own um, fast loader. Mm -hmm. And I was tinkering with his, which, um, what was what was Marble Maze? Um, I'd have to pull up that, because that was the largest game you could load from cassette, I think, was Marble Maze. 
Um, I know it was 13 granules and it required 64K. So yeah, it was pretty big. But yeah, from cassette, it was lickety split. I think it was done loading before I typed all the pokes for the Coco 3 version to get the high speed and patch basics timing <laughs> for the quad speed load. Um, Which would be about 6,000 baht. But yeah, just modifying basic to load twice as fast and then putting the Coco 3 in double speed mode, then you're doubling it again. But I think the cassette, the fidelity of the cassettes couldn't handle anything more than the 2X though. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, you had to make digital copies from a PC so they were like bit perfect rather than the right. cassette the, to get the super Yeah, speed. it was coming from... A, uh, with the compression that the guy did for the, um, I can't even remember the name of the, the software at the moment, but he uh, <clears throat> required a sound card, like a sound blaster or some USB device that could do 88 kilohertz playback. Not 44, like a CD player, but 88 kilohertz. So, but yeah, it, it loaded really fast. Okay, yeah, I, so, I played around with that on real hardware for a bit too, and uh, for with real hardware from an actual cassette, I could only get it up to double speed loading. Because uh, sixty sixty is actually commenting here in the chat, <clears throat> and he said this is pretty much targeted making stuff that will still work recorded on tape. So you had tape running, I think, up to six thousand baud on a Coco three due to the you know changing the ROM code plus doing the double speed up poke. And then this is using software compression on the fly in the loader itself. So we had an existing version that used the older compression method. This new one, which compresses even better yet, would basically increase that. So this would actually give you pretty fast loading speeds on real cassettes, never mind if you enhanced it with you know, 88 killer sound card stuff and you got perfect bit fidelity so you could crank it up even faster. Yeah, if I had a link handy, I'd send it to you so you could open it up so that way you could show the difference, but... <clears throat> Yeah, no, we covered it on the show right after you did it. You had like six screens yeah, was, running. Like, here's regular, here's double speed, here's quad speed. Here's now we're starting to use these digital sound card recordings to, to send it across with software compression added on for good measure. And it was it was like 10 to 15 times faster loading. Like we were, well, I mean, even raw cassettes faster than Commodore 64 disk drive speed, but it was like almost catching up to Coco disk speed at this point. Yeah, now I did use a old Sony walkman cd player that i put put the wave files on and played it back and strangely enough they did still work even though that that's 44 kilohertz and i was quite surprised but at least it yeah. it seemed to work at the, oh, the high high speed so that, that doesn't satisfy satisfy nyquist it shouldn't have worked right well, well the, 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 it's it's binary encoded as analog, not analog. So yeah, I guess yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's got a bit of slop move it can do between transitions yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's fascinating because I mean we didn't get in too much into fast loads, you know, for cassette like the Spectrum or the C sixty four, a bunch of other machines did because our fat cassette was already one of the faster ones on the planet as it was. I mean, we were three times faster than the Model One. And I, I did use the double speed poke on the Coco 3 or even on the Coco 1 and 2, just the regular ROM speed up poke at the time. 
There was one change you had to do to make it more reliable. You had to elongate the header, the do it, do it. You know, the very first part, you had to elongate it a bit to get it to catch right. But I had fully reliable dose speed. I was running 3,000 baud or maybe it was equivalent to 2,700 baud or something, you know, back in the day. And it worked pretty good until I got my disk drive. Um, but this this is pushing it up to a whole other realm where you got software compression on the fly while it's running. It also helps, you know, I mean, you could use that same compression routine. There's no reason you have to restrict it to just being on, on cassette. You could actually put this into a disk loader. So if you want to load in like sound samples or graphics data or something like that, that won't fit onto a physical single floppy disk and you don't want to make your game a multi, multi-disc, you know, swap disk, swap disk type thing, you might be able to fit something like, you know, 200K onto a 153K disk and not have to swap disks and actually just do it on the fly as a disk load too. So the routines, uh, he's got some links here to get some of the routines and actually the actual utilities and stuff here too. So if you want to learn about either of the two compression methods he's been using, the original DZIP or the new one, um, you can hit him up here. Plus he's got a ton of other just cool utilities and code snippets and <laughs> links and all kinds of stuff here. If you're looking for Sockmaster's old pages, like his gimme reference and stuff like that, or all of his old demo pages and stuff, Karen is now hosting them all, thanks to uh, John. Uh, which you can actually get up here. So yeah, that stuff's that back on the web again, which is cool. Next up, Robin Hemmings and the Dragon Group on Facebook uh, put this up. And this was pretty cool. So I don't know how many of you have watched the uh, Netflix show Black Mirror. I did. A pretty good show, which I've started, but not even close to finish. But they have an interactive one called Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which I've not yeah. watched at all. Now, that's an interactive one from what I understand. You interact right. with the show. So how, how does that work? I've never, never done you, it. You start playing it and it gives you choices. What should I do next? Kill the guy or yeah. <laughs> move a lock? It's like a choose your own adventure <laughs> yeah. in a movie yeah. form. Oh, okay. Because I, I guess this guy was watching it and he found one episode here kind of zooming up back to 1984. And it's actually got a 1984 calendar. You can see there, July 1984. But he's actually got a manic minor. Um, I don't know if it's a manual. The box looks like the box of, for the Dragon 3264. So some Dragon guest appearance in the uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch. So that was kind of mm. cool. I don't know if that's a Dragon user magazine here with you know, screenshots or something. I can't quite read that. But that was kind of interesting. We've, we've got you know multiple sightings of Hollywood movies that have, or TV shows that have had Cocos in them. You know, things like, uh, well, Spinal Tap has it, them playing Polaris at one point. And... Um, Revenge of the Nerds 1, I think, had one. Yeah, it did. I don't remember that. I don't care if it's one or two. I think it was one. Yeah, I got to watch it. I, I know yeah. they, they have a Coco 2 up there when they're playing the synthesizer because he's running out on stage playing a Coco 2. That was in uh, 1, I think. At the, the, the thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, the big concert. And then the uh, Friday the 13th where, uh, what's his name, is playing the, uh, Zaxxon. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And Audio Spectrum Analyzers made some guest appearances every once in a while, too, I've seen. But I haven't heard of too many like you know shows having dragon stuff in it. So this is kind of cool that uh, this one existed here. So you guys have, have not played the, the Bandersnatch there, maybe check it out and you can actually get a glimpse of some dragon dragon history in the background. Yeah. I haven't gotten that far. So hey Curtis, I sent you a link, sir. Okay. Um, so the last dragon story I have, and this is from Julian Brown. So he posted a link here to his GitHub in the Dragon Facebook group. So if you're not a member, you can go join that. Uh, features designed for a RAM replacement board for a Dragon 32 Mark II version. 
Now, this is just a preliminary version. It's kind of a work in progress. So if you want to go check it out, but it's not fully tested yet. He's actually was waiting for some prototype boards in order to come in and try these out. Um, but the one thing different about this is it's not trying to do standard, you know, the dynamic RAM chips we had back in the day. This is making an upgrade to upgrade your Dragon using modern RAM chips that you can actually find in plentiful supply instead of trying to find the old 4164s, et cetera. So once it gets it fully up and running, it sounds like he's planning on either releasing the schematics completely free on GitHub like he's doing now for the preliminary version, or he might actually start manufacturing or getting somebody to manufacture if you want to get some of these RAM upgrades using modern chips, which will make the upgrades a lot cheaper and easier to find because you won't be trying to hunt down, you know, chips that are getting to be quite fair at this point. Now, David, you sent you sent me a link. Where did you send it to me here in uh, both Facebook and uh, Zoom? Okay. Bro. Stop sharing. There we go. Switch. Ah, yes. Okay. I, I will let you narrate it as it's doing it here if you want to kind of explain what's going on. Well, the top left is normal speed. The top middle is the 2x high-speed poke on the Coco 3. And of course, the top right is the one with basic being patched for its timing and the double speed poke. And then of course, the bottom three are with the different modes of the fast load. That's the software compression plus the higher fidelity Sound yes. Card. <laughs> yeah. So that software compression and the high fidelity really does help speed it up. That's a that's a twenty six k load or twenty five k load, I think. We're still waiting. Yeah, um, it's it's quite a wait because I think it's like yeah. a couple minutes for it to load at normal speed. Yeah, so the, the, the purely software still works on a real cassette without any software compression added. This is just straight patching basic and doing the double high-speed poke on a Coco 3 is done, loading 26K of data. The middle one's loading it at twice speed, just the double speed poke in the upper left is just a regular 0.895 megahertz Coco 1, 2, or 3. I think the description I have the timings listed at what oh, do you? Okay. I recorded them. How does it compare to a disk load? I never got into that part. <laughs> I mean, the you know the fastest one is going to be. Yeah, so this took two and a half minutes, roughly, or more actually. Yeah. Almost three minutes to load at regular speed. Took a minute and a half at double speed. Took forty-four seconds at the four times. So that's all running off real cassettes. And then we start getting into the software compression on the fly plus the uh, high fidelity at the maximum speed here, he's getting it done in 11 seconds. So 20 some odd K loaded in 11 seconds. So 2K per second. Um, on the disk drive for the Marble Madness, which is a 13 granule file. How long does a 13 granule file normally take to load? That's gotta be close to 10 seconds, isn't it? Not um, sure. <clears throat> I can't really tell if I run an SCC because the SCC runs it a bit faster than the older drives would have done. Right. How many drives nearby to? Try. 
But yeah, it's kind of interesting that Dave, you and, uh, you know, Karen are kind of experimenting with these fast load things. Because like I said, that's not something we really saw too much in the Cocoa because ours was pretty fast to begin with compared to other 8-bit machines of the era. So we didn't really feel the need. Well, plus in North America, everybody went to disk drives pretty, pretty quick anyway. But right. yeah, well, especially with today's technology and, you know, finding cassettes is a pain in the butt anyway. I figure even if you just have the cassette port, if you could have like your cell phone with pre-done wave files that are already um, in there, CD player with the pre-made fast loader done for you, you know, there's ways that you could still improve it because almost everybody has a cell phone. Um, I don't know how many people would still have a, a CD player around or a old or a working CD player one. Walkman. <laughs> <laughs> so there's electronic options to still feed stuff through the cassette. Yeah. Yeah. But it is helpful for some of the machines, like like if you could get some of these software compression routines to work on, say, the Atlas or the MC10, because their entire software library was based on cassette. They didn't have disk drives, period, back in the day. So it'd be, it'd be kind of interesting having some of those, you know, optimized with these software compressor routines, especially with the uh, MCX boards, either 32 or the 128, where you have extra RAM to fit the decompressor. And then you could load in some of these games, you know, like four to eight, ten times faster than you're used to. That that would be pretty pretty impressive. Or you can just get the SD card solution, of course. Anyway, that's all the news we had this week. So, but there is some magic loading stuff with C load. You know, it definitely takes me back. I like doing it. Well, yeah. to tell you the truth, back in the days when I first got the cocoa, when my parents gave it to me for Christmas, they gave me two of the children's network games. One was taxi the other one was unfortunately big bird special delivery um but the loading screen i for some reason like listening to the loading screen for big bird special delivery off cassette <laughs> yes i know i'm weird yeah do we you know. remember it can you recreate it time to play it sometime Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I want to mention you brought up loader screen. So one thing that Karen mentions about his, his cassette utilities, you can actually have it, you know, like I mentioned before, you can jump between addresses, but you can actually have a set video mode. So you can have these little auto loaders that are built in. So it actually will kick it into P mode three and draw a full graphical load screen. And then you'll proceed to load the actual game. And so it does oh, still that. Yeah. Didn't Minotaur do that, that with... I think. Did well, there was two versions. There was there was a text loader like Sugar Software sold um, what the heck was it called? Auto loader, I think, or something like that. That basically lets you do a, a 32 by 16 or the semi-graphic screen, like basically the text screen, which would load in pretty quick. But these other ones actually had to, you know, load in, change the graphics mode on the VDG to a P mode three or P mode four, whatever it was, and then switch back to the loading part and continue on automatically. So those were a little bit more complex, not terribly so, but and 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 you were mentioning too, David, about recognizing or not recognizing, but, you know, liking the sound of the uh, big bird loader. I do remember the standard four voice music routine that almost everybody used for that organy music that we're so used to on the Coco. I got to recognize that routine. So if I was loading a game I'd never seen before in my life and I was playing with the audio on on my cassette, if I heard that certain sequence in, in the sound, I'd go, oh, this game's going to have music. 
didn't even have to see you know run it first because you could just recognize that same routine every time it's in donkey king it's in sailor man it's in mark data products games etc it was it was pretty pretty strange so i guess i'm weird too <laughs> that's pretty cool do we have any uh, project updates well, I cheated and showed mine through Ken's video earlier, so mine, mine's done already. Go get it on Facebook. Go get it on Discord. Anybody yeah, I wanted to, wanted to show off my new uh, my new camcorder here, fourteen X zoom. And just just uh, wait there, Rick. He's got to zoom you up here so we can see it. Oh, there you okay. go. So I wanted to show off my new fourteen X zoom. Should be David Ladd approved. Ooh. Camcorder. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. What, what you got to <laughs> Did you have a fast loader for that? <laughs> if you have a really fast loader, oh, more of them. I ended up with a butt ton of Mavicus. So I have all kinds of floppy drive. You know what? We might be able to change the interleave on those floppies to make it so it can write faster when you're taking photos. Yeah, they're only 2X now. So, yeah, 4X would be good. This. And this thing does MPEG movies, so ooh, oh. like original <laughs> MPEG one. So what does it set you back for that one? Well, I think twenty bucks for the box full of Mavicus here. Oh, really? The ones back there too? Yeah, I just don't have info lithium in the bunch to test them with, but could be fun. Yeah. I'm a sucker for old crap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. Do you have, do you have kids? <laughs> That's what I mentioned. Yeah, 660 in the chat here mentioned, I haven't actually heard this yet. Stuart Orchard, of course, we got him on for doing some of the games that he did back in the day, and he did that excellent Return of the Beast uh, program for the, the Cocos and Dragons 2, which has you know, multi-voice digital effects and all kinds of stuff in the um, theme song. He said, Stuart made a loader for Shock Trooper that played three-part music while the game was loading off cassette using a hacked-up version of Simon Jonason's player. I'd love to see it. I'll hear that, I guess, where it's actually loading off cassette and you actually that would playing be cool. music. You know, can, you probably couldn't do a voice while it was loading, could you? Well, if you can play a three-voice music player, you might be able to. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be cool. Have it talk to you. You know, get ready. This is going to be great. You know, as it's loading. <laughs> of course, it slows your loading time down. That's the yeah. one problem. <laughs> but yeah, but that would be cool. You could do it like a Disney Space Probe game where it switches between loading a little bit of code, playing some voice, loading some more code, playing the voice. Right. Yeah, this and sounds then, like it actually plays while it's loading. It doesn't have to switch back and forth. It just it runs a machine language routine as part yeah. of the loading program. How about for Ron's voiceover? Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool to have our uh, show start with one of those going. <laughs> it, uh, 60 just sent me a message. Where did it show up? Not here. It's going to be. Wasn't, didn't Blockdown have a loader screen? Or did, doesn't it have a loader screen and then it keeps loading? Hmm. Sorry, what was that, Pedro? I thought Blockdown uh, had a loader screen. So a loader screen and then kept loading the game. Yeah, there, there was a few that did. Uh, the Dragon had a lot more of the high-res ones. I, I noticed that was very popular on their cassettes. Um, yeah. So like a lot of the micro-deal would load the micro-deal with the little micro-deal kid with the glasses as part of the load screen. Ours, if we had them, as usually text ones like Madness and the Minotaur, Keys of the Wizard, no, Viking and a bunch of others there, they had the text screen where you draw the you know, 64 by 32, eight color yeah. chunky graphics, but you'd get some sort of a loader screen for it. 
Now, Karen just posted me a link here. It's in the Discord. Um, where he's actually got Stuart's version of Shock Trooper with the music that plays in the background while loading it. Now, I don't have to set stuff here, so I can't do that. He says, I keep posting that to people. Nobody ever actually tries loading it. Well, he posted it to me privately, so nobody else can see it. So that's probably why, Karen. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Karen, if you can post that into one Heck. of the public places on Discord so everybody can see it. Um, Heck, make we'll, a video. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that actually running. Like, I don't know if they even have a working cassette. Um, I could I could fire up Mame and load it through its cassette emulation and make an, a video and post it. Do it. Do it. Well, I need the the file. Hello. <laughs> you need a a cassette player like this. Okay, send it to me. <laughs> Bring it over. There you go. You just volunteered to send it to me. And then an MPEG player and a Cocoa cassette cable works fine. Yeah, but it's easier for me to use MAME's AVI write. Yeah, I'm going to put it in the general game on a general game post. I'll post the link in Discord. There you go. You want to grab that, David? You have a. And Sixty says he's done it in public several times. I've never seen it. You mean a, like a dragon meetup or something? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I would like to actually, yeah, David, if you can record that for next week, that'd be awesome because I've never, never seen or heard it. And I don't even know if I have the hardware here to do it. I mean, I could do it in main, but I would want to do it on the real thing. No problem. Because <laughs> that would be one of the most uh, involved loading um, sequences I would have seen on a Coco or Dragon at that point. I've seen some that do load the high-risk screens. I've even seen some that have loaded, you know, different chunks of the screen at different times while they're loading or even changed some of the scenes while it's loading. They'll load one scene, they'll load a different scene over top of it as it gets further on. Some of them have, you know, multi-screens of instructions with graphics showing you the, the different play elements and stuff. I've seen that. But playing three voice music simultaneously while it's loading? No, I haven't seen that before. Anybody else have any project updates and or acquisitions? Okay, I want to show my uh, web page, my uh, page. Okay. You want to zoom them up there, Mark? Yep. Okay. Let's see. Hang on. Oh, he's going to share a screen. Yeah, I'm going to share a screen. Hey, my talk in between. Ron's Garage. Yay. I changed my banner. Anyway. Today is uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday. I don't know if you knew that. I uh, fired up my um, DS69 and did some new scans. Now, that's a video digitizer for those that don't know that was sold yep. commercially. It's uh, right here. In the 80s for the Coco 1, 2, and 3. Yep. And I, these are different. Uh, they give you a different, um, uh, what do you call it? When you um, digitize, you can change the dither. That's one dither, and there's another dither, I guess. Now, are you running the Coco 3 version here, or is that the Coco yes. 1 2 one? This is the 3 version. Okay. It, it lets you do it. This is my grandson. <laughs> it turned out mm. pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, the Dodge Challenger and Beatles. I, I thought it was cool to um, fire it up again and see if I can get some stuff going. It's a black and white, although uh, in the uh, Max files, you can get a little color like this one here. 
Um, this is how, when you adjust it, you can adjust it to, uh, then you, you, different, you have different levels of, uh, this is what's on what I did, um, made those files from blank. And then uh, I did some uh, high color stuff. And um, Ron, Ron, before you go on further, uh, talking about the digitizer, have, did you ever get a RAS scan like the one that uh, Nick never? Did he... No, oh. but I did see it work um, back in Toledo, Ohio. Um, my friend had one, and um, it it was darn good. It was nice. There you I go. I'll plug for you, Nick. I can't yeah. explain it much. Here's Bye the now. No. <laughs> the big the big game Sunday. You guys got to pick which team you want. So I put those up. I also came across this in my collection, the uh, Coco 3 Holiday Demo. And Ooh, it's, floppy it's, disk. This is right from um, <laughs> Radio Shack, evidently, from a friend I had or something, gave it to me. I yeah, it's actually got the date of the master, too, October 24th, yeah. 1986, which I'd not seen yep. before. And this is a flippy. It does, you know, it's been um, mm-hmm. quite protected. And it yeah, works. that's right, because when you, when, you, when you actually run the demo, it'll say flip the disk and insert yep. and hit a key or whatever, yeah. Yep. As soon as you see this, you remember. Oh yeah, I've seen that hundreds of times, right? And then um, back in the day, I made a whole bunch of these. Uh, you know, back in the day, you could you can get your printer and put a bunch of those, um, you know, stick them things, you know, and make your own labels. Was which I is what I did in color. And back then, having color printed at home was you know pretty cool. And so I'd use those for labels on my stuff. That's about it. I had um, I I found a picture of the, my black cocoa, so I put that up, and then um, I told um, Terry Stegity, um, put will you uh, show yours again? And he he put his up again. I like I your monitor pictures of yeah. I put some pictures up of uh, <clears throat> John Lennon and then John Lennon back in the day in the nineties when I scanned it. So that's about it, guys. Um, I, I constantly doing crap and putting it up all every month, every day. And if you ever got time and you got nothing to do, download some of the pictures because in my um, file section, I have tons of stuff, pictures that I've taken over. And these time. are mostly high color, I think, aren't they? Yeah, mostly. Or, and, or VGA. VGA. and Coco VGA files, yeah. So there you go. That's it. Thank you, guys. There's yeah, because if, if people want to see what a Coco 3 or a Coco VGA is capable color-wise uh, for digitized pictures, Ron's got a ton of examples. Um, in fact, he's got the same picture done in both formats. You can see 16 color graphics on a Coco <laughs> 1 and 2 or a, even an MC10 now, I guess. Um, and, and you've also got the high color, which is Sockmaster's thing, which does pixel interpolation and screen flips while changing palettes on the fly, every scan line, etc. Basically, to give you thousands of colors at once on the screen. Anybody else have any updates or acquisitions? I just have, I uh, just want to remind everybody that uh, registration for Cocoa Fest has opened up. So if you are a vendor and like to get a table, now's the time to do it. Uh, we already had 24 tables registered. So, and that's within the first week. So that's a pretty good showing. So uh, even if you're not a vendor, we still encourage you to register online. So therefore we can have your badge ready and uh, hopefully not have any long lines at the door like we've had in years past. So, but uh, that's it. Cool. 
Now, have you guys got uh, seminars lined up yet or, or a schedule that's coming out or, or are you guys still approaching people for that? Uh, well, yeah, we're still waiting for everybody that uh, wants to give speeches. We'll probably put the uh, schedule out probably in, let's say, probably April. Okay. Get everything finalized and everything. Like and for that. those not familiar, when is the fest again and where is it? It is in Chicago, Elk Grove, Illinois, and it's uh, May, uh, what, 14th and 15th. Be there, be square. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All forever. you have to do is look in the upper left-hand corner of the uh, screen, and uh, there's a blob right there. Uh, you guys on Zoom don't see it. Oh, okay. Be there, be square, in the shadow of O'Hare. <laughs> Actually, it was a good time last year so hopefully our canadian friends can yep. make it over this year exactly we're planning on it if the trucks will get out of the way right <laughs> hopefully they got that figured out by then if not they're in trouble right. <laughs> well you guys will be too because there's a bunch of stuff that goes back and forth that's getting blocked right right I like my tomatoes yeah look at that um, maple syrup you won't have for breakfast for pancakes General right. Motors. Uh, we just get it from China. Cool. All right. Uh, Anyone Ready else? For... Right. I have something. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Pedro. I want to talk about uh, the USB keyboard adapter. Oh, oh an update. Cool. cool. There's an update. Um, I just wanted to show a little bit of how it's working. And I'll just go. I know we might be short on time, so I'll just go straight into sharing my screen. No, actually, we have plenty of time. Oh, we do. Okay. You actually, while a... you're doing that, I'll just uh, mention Terry Stiggy's actually in the chat here. So sorry I couldn't attend. A great show, guys. Now, Terry, when are you getting the inside of your your fancy TDP there video done? We all are clamoring to see it. So get on it. <laughs> it's not done yet. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> what do you What do you got on your chair there, Pedro? That is a cell phone. A little hole. That's what I'm going to show it off with. But you know what? Oh. I lost my Zoom screen. I don't even see you guys anymore. Well, we're here. Hello, we're here. Yeah, it's obviously running because we can hear and see you. Here, okay, there it is. All right, let me see if I can share my screen now. Okay, so you share. Uh, oh no, it says uh, it will stop other participants' sound share. Somebody's sharing sound. Oh, oh, That's oh, it. oh. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So, well, I don't know what to share here. Let's see. All right, can you see my screen? Yes. Okay. You see the cocoa there? Yep. yep. Okay. Now I want to try, I'm using two cameras here and this one doesn't work or two phones. This one doesn't work all that well, but I'm going to, I'm going to try and share it anyhow. Let's see. Connect, connect. All right. Okay. And VLC should show it. All right. You see two? Yep. Yes. I can see your PC keyboard, Dell on the right and the cocoa on the left. There's lag there, but I mean, you get the picture. Uh, so this is a USB keyboard. It's plugged into a USB uh, ho uh, shield. It's a USB host shield for the Arduino. And then it is wired into uh, you know, a matrix chip or the cross point chip. And, uh, and it just, you know, it was very easy to set up you know, with this shield. And it's pretty responsive. Um, you know, no, no smoke. No smoke, <laughs> thank God. But there's still time. It's still being developed. Still time. There's a live demo going on. It'll happen now. If it's yeah, all right, happen. all right. It's part of the show. Fourth of July early. Um, I have nothing there in RAM, uh, nothing in memory. But you know, you can see I can. It's kind of laggy right now because I just 
put something in the code to show something off. Maybe I should get rid of that real fast. This is live coding. So this is the actual Arduino code. I don't know if you can see that. Yep. And also, I should mention, it looks like you're running one of your, your replacement motherboards in that, Coco. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. I don't want to fry uh, an original. Yeah, eat your own yeah. dog food. What was that? Eat your own dog food. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me upload this real fast so it's not as laggy. So what I'm doing is I was just uh, spitting characters back through the serial port. And that's why it's kind of laggy. And you might see now in here, when it recognizes the keyboard, the lights will flash. I didn't do it already. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, so now it's really snappy. It's responsive. You know, you can see that. Um, I did a couple of things like, you know, for example, you see where you have, uh, you know, the minus sign coming up. You have to have shift to get the equal sign or, you get asterisks over here. You have to have shift. Well, you can have, I'm using the number keypad over here to go directly, plus sign directly, this sort of stuff, you know? Um, so you had to program all that? All that's programmed in there. And so one of the goals is to make this hackable. So I, I want to have it so you can just plug it into a computer. It shows up, you know, as a serial port and you can just use the Arduino development environment, uh, you know, to go ahead and, you know, do whatever the heck you want to it, uh, to improve it, you know, and, all that sort of stuff. And it, it seems to be working well. You know, I, I, I was trying to break it uh, last night and the night before, and I can't do it. Uh, cool. Well, I found one way to break it, but you know, it, it, it works. It, you know, you can match the keyboard and, you know, it understands everything. Um, I got a dumb question. There's doesn't seem to be any way to plug in a ROM pack into the motherboard. Uh, Oh, you can. What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, oh, he hasn't right put now. the connector on yet. Yeah, no. Oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, I get distracted. <laughs> um, Squirrel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's pretty much the update. Uh, now, I, I don't know yet how I'm going to design the board. Uh, I don't know what I want to do. Um, if I want to make something that sits under the keyboard and then wires into here or a, a little board that sits there. But at the moment, anyhow, there's a shortage, shortage of certain ship, chips that I would need. So, you know, there's time because I can't really get the chips I want right now to make it. All right, Pedro, if, if I got one of these uh, mechanical keyboards with all the light show on it, uh, would that work with it? Is it a USB keyboard? Yeah. Yeah, it should. If, it's, uh, if it talks an HID, okay. uh, it'll I do like I do like your choice for the most generic USB keyboard possible. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. There must be a billion of those. <laughs> Absolutely. Whatever. A couple of them in my closet. One. I have, yeah, I have a new, a new in box one. You have a new in I don't think I've ever seen yeah. them. I usually pull them out of the trash and start using them. Yeah. They uh, pull them out of the trash, new in box. Yeah. <laughs> exactly Kevin Holloway right. has a question which we kind of touched on last week but I figure you might as well repeat it uh, he's asking is it hot pluggable and also I will just yeah. append to that do both keyboards work at once if you want to answer that yep. you can do it and, and you can hot swap a key keyboard like it, both That's USB and PS2 which is a bit unique to this design let me see I got one right here so I don't know if you see this keyboard yeah. Okay. And here's the connector for it. Okay. 
Now, please work, Lion. Comes <laughs> <laughs> a smoke, folks. That is the touchpad. That is the coolest thing to say. <laughs> Will the mouse work? Let's see. So here's the adapter I'm going to be using. All right. The USB to PS2. Let's see. And you know, on a regular computer, this wouldn't work, right? This you'd have to reboot the computer to use a P if you unplug it. Yeah, swap a PS2. Yeah. But it has worked here this way. So it's plugged in. And there you go. Yay! It worked. So yeah. you're already more advanced than a PC, a PS2B. It's more advanced than a PC. Uh, for sure. Gonna give it a run for its money. And um, you know, it, it, uh, it, so far, I'm happy with the results. Another cool thing is right now, uh, it shows up as a, as a serial port on the computer, right? And so actually, let's, let me do this here. This is a terminal program I have. And let me open the port. Right now, the way it's set up, since I opened the port, it's going to reset the board. Is that an Arduino? Uh... Yep, yep. But I can also you know, type from here, from my computer. So right now I'm typing on, on this terminal program here, which is, you know, there's no echo. I don't have echo on. I wonder if I can turn echo on here. Uh, oh, maybe I could, I don't know. Local, cool. local, Duplex happy local echo. Local echo under configuration. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, you know, you'll see, I have no, you know, I can, I can uh, just type away, right? Slide your terminal window over a bit. No, you're back there. You see it? The other direction. Yeah, we want to see both Coco and there you go. There we go. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. And uh, I can even break from here. You know, I can I, I can do I think all the the printable ASCII ASCII characters um, just fine through the terminal. So I guess you can do three three computer three keyboards at once. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I want one now. Okay, three-player game now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, oh, no, I'm thinking other things. Actually, that would work because one problem of doing multiplayer on one keyboard, especially the Coker keyboard, is too small. You get cramped. Yeah. But if you each have separate keyboards and you can redefine keys, for example, so I can you do W, A, S, Z, and redefine it as arrow keys on my particular keyboard that's hooked up to it, you could actually you know, have them spread out and play properly. You can yeah, but how many keys can the Coco uh, understand at once? Well, no, so if... You well, know, when we Coco, play we Dungeons, play with... they, you could play two players on the same keyboard at the same time. And Gala 2 does as well, which yeah. is at least three or four keys simultaneously. I mean, technically, the PIA should be able to read row. I mean, there's some electrical issues there, but I mean, technically, it could do every key at once. It's eight. Yeah. yeah. It's eight. Yeah, because of the way the matrix pulls the rows and the columns. Yeah, because it could it could create oh, problems so get, as little as three. Yeah, you get blocking moves and so forth yeah. from the. Yeah, you have to pick your keys carefully. I do remember that, but. Ooh, multiplayer wordle. But since you can redefine the keys for each of the keyboards so that you know what are you know nice easy to use keys for a particular game on a mm. full-size keyboard is remapping to specific ones that coco game needs that work properly within the matrix it would still be quite playable i would think and you could yeah. mess with the other players and make their character move into the line of fire or something <laughs> <laughs> cheat mode 
So if I got a, a multi-pack with 16 slots and I got three keyboards, what kind of a table am I going to need? <laughs> a big one. Yeah. Just get one. wireless keyboards and you can just put them in your lap there, Ron. Just to stack <laughs> them up. Well, you have a good, good point because in, in the USB world, I remember there was a keyboard that logged itself in as like 60 keyboards in Windows so that there, multiple key presses would register correctly. Um, but you don't really have that problem here because you've got one USB keyboard and one, some other keyboard and yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Kobo keyboard. And a serial input. Yeah. But there's still no clock. There's no <laughs> clock yet. Uh, Arduino's got a clock. I wanted to throw that in there, but you know, it's just too much. Yeah, Arduino does have a clock. It does. No, you can do it's so there. You can do a real-time clock with the Arduino. And we just have to program it, right? You could send it serially through the keyboard matrix if you wanted to. So, you know, that's why I think I asked you a couple of days ago, you know, if it's something that could be input through the PIA. So you could do a control key um, and have the time come up? Well, I don't know how you would query Yeah, it. we have to figure out a way to get it to interface so that you can use it as both a, a clock driver per se, but maybe you can also like, you know, hit some hot key sequence and disk basic and it'll just print the timeout or something, you know. Here's yeah. a clock for you. On a disto controller, um, you hit clock on and it comes up in the top corner. Now, is that under OS9 only or is that under disk basic too? Disk basic only. It was, yeah, the disk Oh, part of the CDOS ROM or whatever? Yes, exactly. Curtis, I sent you another link. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, well, before you get to that, Kevin Holloway had some other questions here. He was asking if it also would work with XT and AT keyboards, and I figure as long as you have a USB adapter for those, it should. I think, yeah, as long as you have an adapter, it should. As long as the adapter uh, speaks HID, you know, that protocol, it should work. So, you know, there's uh, having a USB option I mean, opens up a whole lot of uh, possibilities. And I'm doing this uh, for several reasons, but so the real, the initial reason I wanted to do this was because it's one of the goals on that Cocoa Plus Plus board that I'm making. And uh, so can I you thought, charge your phone on your Cocoa? Now you can. Wow. Now you can. <laughs> Not really recommended, wow. but you can. <laughs> it's going to be in slow mode, right? <laughs> it's going to be in slow mode. Hmm, what else? Oh, macros. So ah, yeah, could, that was something I was asking about last time. I could run there. I have F5 just sends run. Mm. Uh, F6, if you want to list it, you know, whatever. You can put in whatever you want. And so this was hard-coded, but, you know, the idea later on is to be able to do it to the keyboard. And I'm Do you have an idea what the limit will be as to how big your strings can be? It's going to be the limit, uh, you know, how much flash you have uh, on the Arduino. So in theory, if I do it with another chip that has, you know, more space, you can increase that. Or if there's an SD card, you know, that's uh, put in, you can have it pull from the SD card. So you can, there are ways to increase it. A micro SD card. Okay. The reason we're asking is like, like, I know we've had some other um, AT keyboard adapters, XT keyboard adapters have done the same type of thing, but they usually had a fairly small limit back in the day in the nineties to how big your strings could be. But I could see setting up, like if I'm doing several, you know, bigger ML projects and it's not at the same time, I could actually have it run the assembler <clears throat> output a generated listing and then immediately run the program all in one big long you know 
200 key sequ or 200 character sequence or something like that. And I define a function key for each of the projects I'm going on. So if I'm working on Cocodal and then I'm working on Liberation, I'm working on you know, a Nitrous 9 driver or whatever, I can just hit whatever one I have to be working on seven and type the whole thing in or making a batch file. Oh, I think a 200 key sequence uh, is more than doable. So I'm, in fact, the, trans, the, the tables that I'm using to translate all this stuff, they're way bigger. You know, one's 256 uh, bytes. The other one is, um, well, I don't know how big, but, you know, they're bigger. And, it, and it, I think if you, as long as you make them like a constant byte, you know, uh, it goes straight to flash, isn't even loaded in RAM, I think. Something like that um, on the Arduino. Now, there are tricks to do that sort of stuff. So I, I think you can get away with 200 easy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pushing probably past what I would normally need. Yeah, I, I think it's a safe bet. And, you know, to add stuff, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe um, you would be okay with hard coding that sort of stuff. I don't know. You know, although it is nice to do it from your keyboard. Uh, maybe, you know, display it on the Coco as you're typing it, you know, so you can see what you're doing. So so this is a Coco Duino. A uh, Coco Duino. Although there is, already is a Coco Duino, isn't there? Wasn't it just it runs an emulator or something? I don't know. An Arduino that runs a Cocoa emulator? <laughs> yeah, I seem to recall hearing about that year or two already or something. Not, not. It wouldn't be like this. It's, it's just basically emulating a Cocoa on a higher end Arduino. Every, every combination of Duino has been done, so you're going to have to be specific in your naming. Yeah. <laughs> just life, yeah. So Terry Stiggy had a question for you. He said, Pedro, that is very cool. When are you going to sell them? And I think that's related to parts shortages and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's related to parts shortages. So, there, you know, one of the options that, um, something that I could start selling rather quickly is so the, you know, the heart of the whole thing is the um, Max uh, 3421, I think it is, which is the USB host chip. And it's like, you know, zero available, you know, local sort of domestic, uh, you know, parts places. Uh, abroad, I, I think I found a couple, uh, eBay for sure, but you know, they're expensive. Um, well, what's expensive? On eBay, they're like, uh, like $20 each, I think almost from what I saw. Whereas if you can get them locally, they're like $8 oh. or domestic, you know, it's right. around there. The, the chip is pretty pricey chip, but I mean, it does a lot, you know? Um, so, but there is, uh, there are a bunch of boards that have been made with that chip. And so there is a board that's made for the Arduino Nano, which is a smaller form factor. Let me see if I can, right here. Yeah. So I don't know, I don't know if you can see uh, this guy there. Well, actually, let me put it down here. That might be better. Maybe not. I don't know. My feed died. Mm. But anyways, it's a small Arduino Nano, and there's a board made for this uh, Arduino um, that with another board, and that board, that small board is a USB host shield board, rather, and has that chip. So I can make a stackable solution like this. It'd be small with just one custom board and sell that. You know, and you wouldn't even have to buy the Arduino Nano or the shield. You can get those on your own if you wanted to. But that's something I can start doing pretty quickly. And it would work instead of just one whole big custom board that just had all that stuff in it. Okay. So for the so impatient that, ones of us there, there's an alternative. There, so yeah, there's a, there's an option and I might do it, you know, I might do it just to have something out. quickly. And again, I plan on making this all open source, you know, so that anybody can have it and build it themselves and hack away at it and improve it. 
You can hand wire it like uh, 8 bits in the basement then. I can hand wire like 8 bits in the basement. <laughs> I can do that. I have done those sorts of things in the past. And, you know, the first couple of times, it's exciting. It's fun. Like you said, it's great. You don't want to do it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have. I don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had to once I had to uh, I had to wire a whole a 486 um, I mean not with everything not with uh you know with the controllers and all that but you know that was like um took me like two weeks to do of like four or five hours a day of you know wiring stuff I don't want to do that again didn't work yeah, yeah long hair then right I had longer hair. <laughs> was not getting haircuts. Couldn't afford haircuts. <laughs> cool. Well, thank thanks for the update. And definitely keep us posted, especially yeah. if the chip shortage probably starts to get fixed. Let me stop this. Show. Could you do the same thing with a uh, Pi W? What do they call it? Zero W. Well, Pi. So I think uh, you know, Mr. Dave sixty oh nine, Dave Uri, He's he's done that already. But he's done yeah. it with a regular Pi. Okay. He has a keyboard so adapter with a Pi. You just decide what controller you want to work with, and well, so that's a full-blown computer. Yeah. So it, right. it makes it a little easier because you have a whole operating system to handle everything. Okay. And you can do a lot more. You could even, you know, you could interface to a Pi the way he has. Um, you can take advantage of, you know, things like, you know, onboard Ethernet. Video. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of you stuff. But these little Arduinos, this is almost a chip you could throw on a board. Yeah, it is. That's exactly, that's exactly, that's what it is. And, um, you know, so I, I think that for, at least for what I have in, in mind, um, the Arduino is the, the way for me to, you know, is the way I want to do it. You know, I want to make it, you know, easily accessible, shareable, you know, hackable. And, you know, um, I'm yeah, happy. you're making a peripheral versus uh, adding a whole second computer to the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, both ways are fine. Uh, cool Def definitely keep us posted there because that's uh, i think it's got the interest of multiple people I mean, even nick might write a game requiring you know keyboard controls oh. <laughs> <laughs> will it have cheat mode <laughs> we just call that nick mode now uh, nick mode after nick watching mode. his game on challenge course um as far as project updates go, I got one here from Fred Gravancha in the chat, actually. He said he's working on the control version three for G Shell EOU, and he said it's progressing nicely. So I haven't actually seen it in the last uh, while, so I'm not sure exactly how far he's gone, but I did see some earlier ones, and it does look pretty good. It's been definitely spicing it up and making it look more modern. So I wanted to mention that. I think a really I, nice uh, control program would be a great addition to OS9. Yeah, I mean, the one he, he did for uh, the beta six is actually a pretty big improvement on its own, but he's, he's definitely taking it a, a whole step up again. I actually have a uh, update. Oh, good. So it's about a month old, though. <laughs> um, everyone's familiar with what this is? It's a Coco 3, the collection of wires. It's Coco 3 with a uh, Dave, uh, Mr. Dave 6309 keyboard in it. Is it a USB powered Coco 3? <laughs> uh, no, actually, it is a Pepper powered. Oh, that's the Pepper board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sweet. Powered. What's that? That is that is the uh, board from uh, 
the uh, great uh, Pedro Pena. Um, there it is. I see it. To replace the salt. Okay. And that controls your sound, your joysticks, your cassette. Mm -hmm. and... Where's your power? Uh... Well, that one doesn't do the sound. <laughs> but it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't? It, okay. Yeah, it... Um, it actually uses a uh, wall board that's. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. It uses 12 volts input. There you go. Um, but there's something else special about this. Is it like from a cell phone or something? Um, actually, it's for a. Like how many? It's know. a 1.5 amp. Yeah, amps. 12 volt, 1.5 amp. That's all you uh, need? Yeah, it's for hmm. a. Uh, a lot less, actually. You need. Yeah. So, like, um, when you when you got your cocoa on, you're not going to see a low voltage thing show up in the corner of your screen now. <laughs> it's making what five volts and eight volts or something like that. So, if you've got twelve, you're good. Oh yeah. yeah there's all yeah. There's also something else special about this cocoa three. Well, you got a ram oh, upgrade. I, I don't recognize. And it's I'll give you a hint. It's not the the drive wirelessly or the internal drive wire board. Oh, and that's what I was going to guess. Nope. It's the, as Mark called it, it's the RAM. Oh, okay. This is the only uh, 512K RAM uh, upgrade in North America of this type. This is the one that was made by Karen of uh, XROR fame. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Nice. Yeah, because he only had five prototype boards made when he made his, right? Yes. So... What number is that one? Five. Oh, it is. Yep. <laughs> you know that for sure. Well, I mean, the other, he he used what? Uh, he used one or two, and then uh, sold two, and then this sold the third one to me. Oh. Did he put any lights on it? Did he what? Did he put any lights on it? LEDs? Mm, not that I've seen. No. Yeah, I think only the boomerang. <laughs> or, yeah, the boomerang had that E two. Yeah. But it works quite well. I've had no problems with it. Nice. You know, the way he he, he uh, laid out the chips, at least, you know, when you pulled it back, to me, it looked like a chomping, an alligator, like chomping. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a gator so. I would call it. Okay, well, thanks for that, Sleepy. <clears throat> I, yeah. I'd actually never seen Karen's board. I, I know we talked about it on the show and stuff there. That I didn't, I've kind of forgotten that you actually got the only American uh, copy of it. So. Well, what's with the keyboard on that machine? What's Mr. Um, Dave's? Uh, Mr. Dave's. Oh, okay. Why, why, keyboard. why no key, keys on it? Why no keycaps? Yeah. Um, because I told Mr. Dave that if he didn't send me one, I would send him one of my children. And <laughs> so he sent me that to keep my children in, in the U.S., and uh, <laughs> so I agreed. Okay, that, uh, it, it's personal I'll let the, problems. We don't care about. I'll problems. let the I'll let the keycap slide. <laughs> no, I just haven't uh, been. I just haven't uh, ordered any. I've been, as you know, I haven't been doing too well. So I just haven't gotten around to ordering them. Well, we'll pray for you. Thank you. Okay, now Fred, Fred Provence has actually uh, showed up here to guest for a little bit to actually show us the new control program, version 3. So if you want to take cool. it away there, Fred. Hi, guys. How are you? Hi. Hello. Yay, something <laughs> interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, um, yeah, hopefully uh, this will be interesting. We'll see. Um, so let's see. I guess uh, it's okay if I share my screen. 
Yes. All right. Uh, let's see here. Do you have the space station up there? Yeah, that's a Lego a, a Lego model space station. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Can you see it now? Yeah. yeah. Huh? Right. Yeah. It doesn't so, have a garbage can. Nope. Oh, he's in the control can. panel. That's why. Yeah, oh, in the, the, yeah. Actually, let me <laughs> jump out of the control panel and uh, one second here. Is this a Mac? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> oh, it must be Atari ST um, then. Just take clear. One second here. Okay. All right. So first, I have to shut it down in order to restart it. So remember, it's it's still in work progress, in progress. So, yeah, work in progress. Looks like the latest VCC. Yeah. Okay. So uh, here's a. Uh, ah, that's better. Here's G Shell. Okay. <laughs> so it's. <laughs> yeah, that, that should look familiar now. Okay. So here's G Shell. You go into the Tandy menu, you select control, and. Uh, Bam. You know, there's a new control program. So there's different tabs on the side, okay, for different subjects i guess different categories of settings and um you can you know jump around between different different uh tabs and um so now um i think the last time i uh, gave a progress report you couldn't actually change anything you could just go around and jump to different tabs but you couldn't really do anything besides that but now you can you can you know change the window size you um can change the colors of the screen. Okay. Ooh. Now, um, oh, one of the uh, one of the features that I introduced in the last version of uh, of uh, of control was uh, presets. The ability to choose from a list of different uh, preset uh, standard um, palettes. Okay, so you can change the colors to a different uh, motif or scheme. Uh, on the fly. So I'm going to show you that I've implemented that on this version too. So like, uh, for example, you bring up a list of all these different presets and say I want a, a red motif. Boom. Oh, Everything's red. Nice. Okay. Or uh, if you go into and then you, you want uh, orange. Boom. You've got orange. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, green. We've got a whole bunch of them here. And uh, you can change them around if you like. You can edit them, okay? And you can create new pre presets. Looks like a firecracker. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, create uh, new presets uh, by clicking Add or Delete. You can delete some of these if you want and make room for more. There's a maximum of 10, sorry, 20 presets you can have. Um, there's only like, what, 12 on here right now. But anyway. Um, what's, the, what's the standard PAL? The standard, standard pal. Oh, standard pal. Um, grayscale, I'm guessing. Or? That's this. Oh no, that's a standard built-in. Yeah. Old low o sign level. So, two yeah, one. black, red, blue, white. You know. Oh, okay. Um. So, uh, you know, let's go back actually, because I'm. This is kind of bugging What's me. What's the gray? Is the gray the original or the? Gray. Um. Gray is, I think, the one that. Uh, oh, okay. Was uh, 
That's a default we made way back when. That makes the yeah. garbage can stand out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, now, personally, I like this one. Blue Steel is my favorite. Um, but anyway, now, um, so that's uh, that's uh, G-Shell tab. Over here in the Display tab, you can change the palette for the systems palette, whereas we were just, just now we were just toying with the palette for G-Shell itself, okay? So you can change the system palette very similarly, except if, you've if got you change 16, the, If you change the system palette, does that change the G-Shell uh, colors? Um, no. no, it shouldn't, no. Um, but uh, when you're inside of control, um, it changes what's currently on the screen. But, um, but when you go back, it uh, reverts back, see? Because now this is showing G-Shell's palette and the display tab shows the system's palette, okay? Um, yeah, and the system palette, like basically when you boot up OS 9 level two or Nitro 9, it has a default palette for everything. And some older games and programs depend on you not having changed those. So this is one way you can actually do that. Or if you didn't like the ones originally there, you can change them so that games like Klondike Solitaire and stuff like that will play with decent colors rather than exactly, forcing it on the yeah. grayscale or whatever, you know, selection you have for a preset. Exactly. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so that way, um, when you're changing the system palette so that you can run a certain game that needs a certain palette, it won't change G shells palette. So G shell still stays the same color scheme that uh, it was before. Yeah, um, that was something we added in Nitrous 9 because we had a lot of complaints in the early days when we first did it, that mm -hmm. uh, it would change the G-Shell palette too. And sometimes a game wanted a, a, such a honky, terrible palette that mm -hmm. G-Shell just about became unreadable. It might be like black text on a dark blue background or something silly like that. So that yeah. this was a way to get around it so that they kept separate. And, and Curtis, you did that a while ago, right? Like 20 Yeah, that was like 97, so, yeah. 98 or something. So it's it been a change that has been in there for a while now. Uh, let's see, mouse settings. You can change the mouse settings, low res, high res, uh, left port, right port, second button equals clear. Um, so um, I think by default, what's the default uh, in EOU right now? If, if I think we right have it defaulting to off because I have some plans for G-Shell uh -huh. to use a second button. So if it uh -huh. just went and cleared to the next window every time you hit it, those wouldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you... You can toggle back and forth uh, in here for that too. Um, keyboard settings, key click. I like it off myself. I'm, I'm not a fan. I of think most people do. We just defaulted <laughs> it on one window so people try it. I, I, it's meant more for adventure games or maybe a text editor or something. Yeah. So you can yep. take feedback. But. So you can, uh, well, actually, this screen I'm still working on. So I don't think everything's fully, fully working here. <laughs> anyway, uh, then there's. Oh yeah, that's right. It's not. It hangs right now. <laughs> anyway, so um, I guess you kind of get the idea. Um, well, how long before this is available? Um, I'm hoping to have it ready by the time the next version of EOU uh, is uh, distributed. So, wow. uh, Curtis, yet. that's uh, I guess target for that is what by Cocoa Fest or something. Yeah, that's what we're shooting for. I, because I'm so busy with some other side projects and all kinds of other crap, it's probably not going to be as big of a release as I originally was planning. But there is some stuff already ready to go. As updated, okay. so yeah, I'm shooting for the May 14th, 15th. Okay, well, yeah, this should be done by then. So uh, yeah, hopefully that that'll be in that next release. So yeah, uh, so far it's yeah. going pretty well. Um, uh, I I would say the I'm over the 
I'm, I'm past the hardest part, really, which was getting the, uh, the palette changing routines to work properly and to work nice with each other. Um, I would say it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, all, uh, it's all smooth sailing from here. The, the remaining tabs that I still have to work on, the window, printer, system, startup, those are all pretty easy. There's not too much complicated there. Well, the system so, uh, going to tell you how much memory you have? <laughs> Ooh. When you get term feature creep here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah system, system information. Yeah, yeah, we need term set and term cap. And uh, yeah, I don't yeah. see a, a clock on the top corner. Oh, yeah, we need a clock. Yeah. Well, clock will have to be in G shell itself. That won't be. Yeah, that, red that's green. right. Uh, be me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I really like where you're taking it. We need, we need control to, you know, we need one place to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause the one problem right now is that you have control for like some basic function, but then you had a separate one for setting disk drive device names and you had a separate program that I had to run to set the printer up and you had a separate program to run, to run the yeah. serial port setup. And he's combining it all into one. Yeah. So is that and what system is? For yeah setup. well uh, yeah that's what yeah um, actually i think the program just froze so there's a bug mm -hmm. i still need to squash but anyway yeah system and system and startup are for the more advanced settings like uh um uh like data directory uh system so i could i could screw up my um system if i'm in there playing around oh. i don't know <laughs> you, you can do that now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but now you gotta go to Bonus, so you can already places. do that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like like uh, like Curtis was saying. I mean, in most modern systems, uh, right? Uh, you have a control panel. You have um, or you have a system uh, settings, a settings uh, app or tab or whatever that you can go to and uh, change whatever system settings you want. You know, keyboards, mice, and so on. You know, you're in 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 Windows. You've got. Uh, the settings thing where you can go and change uh, all kinds of system settings. So this is designed to be something like that, where all system settings, you go to one, one app and uh, you can change pretty much anything so that in the future, you won't have to go in and edit the environment file. Okay. To change system settings like you do now, you know, you have to go into a uh, sys slash env dot file in order to change stuff with a text editor or whatever. You shouldn't have to do that hardly ever anymore uh, once control is done. Yeah, maybe we'll do it all through the GUI right in G shell. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so does, it, does this modify the environment file as you make the changes? Uh, well, no, it only changes, it only modifies the environment file when you exit the program. It'll, it'll prompt you if you want to save the changes. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, you, you can make them temporary changes for your current session, basically not save yeah. them. Like if you just wanted to fiddle with something, you were doing something special, yeah. you wanted a different palette, different <laughs> settings for the serial <laughs> right. whatever. And it then does, you, if you do make permanent changes, you can save them as well. So you can do both. It, oh, it okay. does um, change the uh, operating environment of the system on the fly, but it won't make those changes permanent unless it saves mm -hmm. it to the environment file. And it'll ask you if you want to do that when it when you go to try to exit the exit, uh, exit control. So, so in other words, or you're screwing it up is only going to happen uh, temporarily. <laughs> temporarily. Yeah, yeah. If you screw it up so bad that you can't save your changes, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> then you just hit reset to reboot. Yeah. 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 yeah maybe exactly. Thank you. you know, just, uh, yeah. So I mean, you uh, might have said this, but does it have like a return to like a default button? Um. 
Reboot. No, but it will. Oh. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, uh, that's, that's kind of like the abandon button in the original one, isn't it? Where you just say, just yeah. get rid of all my changes. Don't save them. So yeah, I, I, I don't think that. Yeah, I am planning to do that. It hasn't been fully implemented yet, but yeah, uh, you should be able to revert back to every the way it was before. Yeah. And, and you do you know, kind of have a backup because the swap boot program actually has multiple copies of the environment file for each different type of boot you have, which you can have totally different settings on. So if you screwed up the local one you're running now, even if you saved it, you could theoretically go back and just copy the the backup for the swap boot version of it over top to, to restore it. So you kind of could. Well, I have five SD cards, so the chances of me screwing up them all. <laughs> I don't know, Ron. I've but, seen you work here. It's probably pretty good chances, I'm thinking. <laughs> but it is kind of nice to note that without complex buffers and so forth, you can just turn it off. I don't know what I've done. It's really gone off the path. I'm just going to turn it off and start over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so I, I've restarted the program now. So let's see. System. Yeah, there you go. You change the execution and data directory. System priority module CRC checking. Cisco text. These are some of the. Uh, so the system priority, the higher set. the number, the lower the priority or the lower the number. The higher, higher the number, the higher the priority. It'll take more CPU oh, okay. time for that process. What's the top number? 555. Lowest oh. number is one. Okay. So, yeah, these are some settings that were added to environment file recently by Curtis, and so I'm trying to include them in this next version. Uh, startup, data direct. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh. I see a bug. I found another bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Windows, uh, X window size, Y. This is for the text window, like the. Um, the term window when you boot, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, terminal window. Uh, this is for the settings for uh, for that border color, foreground, background, uh, yeah, size and so on. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Um, I'm open to suggestions for improvement, of course. Uh, please let me know uh, if, uh, if there's something that. Uh, Did you show a startup yet? Um, startup. Yeah, he showed <laughs> the bug. bug. I can't access it right now. <laughs> no, you can't get there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, where are all the it's, other? Yeah. It's basically telling you you already started it. You can't change that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, windows could have all the windows. Yeah. Or you could have one that would have my name on it, and <laughs> it would be a simple mode. <laughs> yeah. There's more feature creep for you there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you've done great. Thank you very Thank much. You. It looks good. I, I like the fact you're combining like all these separate programs that the original control panel had four or five things. It ran yeah. depending on which part you select and you're putting it all into one. Hey, yeah. Did you put cool. your name anywhere that you've done this? Oh, um, not yet. Credit? <laughs> not oh, yet. Yeah. It's in the source code, but uh, it's in the source code. But um, no, I, I might put like. I don't know. We should have a splash that comes up. You can do it in a boat like, uh, like Kent Myers and I did where yeah, you put our initials on the version number. I could have a little about tab at the top. There you there. go. You on and put some, some blurb in there. I probably will do that. Yeah. Or load your image, like your picture. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Maybe an animated picture of your, your head mounted on an animated uh, like a, Sonic like the Hedgehog head. or something like we saw oh. earlier. That's, uh, Trash can just to discard changes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do that. We'll change the mouse cursor so it's a picture of Nick digitized. You can just drop him into the trash can. <laughs> you know, like probably Oscar next the time when you show us these um, 
you know, what you've done, you should do it on a video so nobody can throw all this stuff at you. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I, I think I will make a YouTube video uh, when I'm a little further along in the process, uh, you know, showing how it works and stuff. And then at the end, you say, that's it. No more. <laughs> done. I don't yes. know. It's pretty well a never ending thing from what I, I find. <laughs> uh, in your case, it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now you've got to go meta and make. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Holloway says multi keyboard settings. <laughs> now, I do have one question for you, Fred. Uh, if you, is this thing auto adapt size wise if you're running this from an 80 column window? Or does yes. it just use half well, the window? It, when, uh, when you're in any column screen, it takes up half the screen. Um, okay. So it's currently set up. Which um, I think the original oh, control program did too, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, it did actually. Um, and um, I mean, I was toying with the idea of making a 80 column version where, you know, you have twice as many settings on the screen at once. And I was like, mm. no, I don't, I don't need to do that. <laughs> Yeah, Making just have it run in half, just... half the window is, is fine, you know. It's, yeah, because that way you can still see, like, some of the folders and stuff you're looking at underneath, too, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, just make it a folder and, or make it an overlay, and sometimes it takes a whole screen, and sometimes it takes a bit of it. Yeah, um, I can even show you how that works. Let's see. So we can, uh, back in G-Shell, view. And, oops, hold on. Okay, what's it doing? Right, I have an idea. There we go. Okay, so here's the uh, 80 column version of uh, G Shell. And uh, so maybe we bring up a folder first so we can get something on the screen to. to oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I could do that. Oh. Right, so there's G Shell. And uh, let's see, you go into the Tandy menu and you start at control. You'll see it just takes up half the screen here. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, yeah. You, know. yeah. you can change between RGB and color composite. It's oh, actually man. better. You see what's going on while you do it. Yeah. yeah Try exactly. the Monday button. <laughs> oh, the Monday. <laughs> Monochrome. Yeah. Does, does, who has a monochrome monitor anymore? I I don't, I don't know. I, probably not too many. But well, if you try to show stuff through a TV, you go to monochrome. It's for backward compatibility. The original version had that. So you know. yeah, and if you're on composite, if you're trying to read any comms, actually, if you kill the color burst, which is what the monochrome does, it actually does make it a little bit easier to read. Yeah, because because the composite monochrome is handy when you're using one of the Apple. Uh, Apple II uh, 80 column RGB or not RGB, the green screen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. Very good. Anyway. See, there's so, probably things that uh, you, you realize as you go, you know, like oh, yeah. particular one. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, as I'm going through the, you know, as I'm working on it, I, I come up with new ideas, you know, stuff to do. Um, yeah, it's just kind of organic that way. We look at evolves. printer? Uh, printer? Nothing there. Um, heh, causes the program to crash. But basically, right now, all it does is run the original 
uh, G shell Tandy menu version of the printer program. So there's no change there, but there's, there's no way to close out. <laughs> oh, so, so that's, it looks like the menu. You're not gonna, yeah, you're not gonna have exactly. Yeah. Gonna have so, um, stuff. oops. All right. Well, there goes VCC. I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, you're running Windows 10. Did you take that? Yeah, it's on my laptop. I, it's a relatively new laptop. I got it a few months ago. Uh, Did you so, take that picture? Did I take the that picture? Which picture? The picture <laughs> of your background. Oh, um, comment. Oh, yeah. Let me uh, minimize this. I'll show you. Okay. So this is uh, that comment that what was it? Neowise, I think. Yeah. If I remember right, Neowise. Uh, that. Uh, um, yeah, it was like a year or so ago, right in the middle of the right. pandemic. Um, hold on a sec, guys. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, is it gunshot? <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. Uh, yeah, my, my son has a couple of kids, uh, a couple of friends over. Anyway, Comet Neowise. About oh, yeah, a year and a half ago, it was, uh, it was a, a naked eye comet. And um, I took this picture, yeah, from my backyard. Good job. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm, this is one of the better pictures I've taken, I think, with my my uh, astronomy equipment. So, uh, yeah, I'm pretty happy with how this one came out. It's really good. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Um, I've got other hobbies besides astronomy and and the cocoa. I also rock collector. I this curio next to me here. I've got. Do you have Very the original cool. pet rock? Uh, <laughs> I've got like geodes and crystals and. Oh, neat. Uh, we, we can't see them right now because you're sharing um, the. Yeah, I'm a bit of a rock collector too. So that's another one of my hobbies. Hard rock or soft yeah. rock? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> both. <laughs> well, he's actually yeah. a headbanger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, well, now that you mention it, music is another interest of mine. I can I can play the trombone, um, and uh, I, I like lots of different kinds of music, actually. So um, I can also sing. So yeah. Anyway, um, I think I mentioned uh, in a previous uh, uh, previous uh, Coco Talk episode that I've got like ten different hobbies, and my time is kind of split up among all of them. And, Rock collecting, there's astronomy, there's the color computer, there's music, there's what else? Uh, I've got a fish tank. Um, I've got, um, I don't know. Kids. Have you, yeah, kids. You've collected so children and uh, <laughs> apparently because I've got two neighbors. It's the busiest hobby ever. <laughs> they won't let you collect <laughs> wives. <laughs> well, some, some, some societies do, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> one one wife is one wife is more than enough. <laughs> yeah. Right. You don't want to collect <laughs> I've got my hands full with one as it is. <laughs> anyway, thank thanks yeah. for the update. I'm yeah. I'm really pleased where that's going, and we'll we'll yeah. keep keep thank you coming you. on I'll, for that. Uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted. Sure. And I'll thank try you. not to surprise you with new features in G Shell. You suddenly have to add at the last minute. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Oh well, by all means, you know, if you've got some new ideas, uh, I've got lots of new ideas. I just don't know if I have time to yeah. do them before the next release. Yeah. Well, by all means, you know, 
go at it. Um, just don't make any changes to the environment file. <laughs> Bill and I have a whole <laughs> so, document of stuff we want to add to G Shell yet. So yeah. Cool. Cool. I mean, and then I'm, some of I'm it involves looking... the right mouse button, just to warn you. Okay. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to that actually, because uh, yeah, G Shell could definitely um, uh, I could see where there's uh, stuff that could be added there and can make can make it uh, a lot better. So uh, yeah, um, very good. <laughs> cool. All right. I see I'm somebody actually... else has joined us. Does he have an update as well, or? Cool. AC. Cool. AC. Hey, hello. Oh, yeah. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Yeah, I, I joined because, well, I, I got on after the Game of the Week discussion. So I wanted to come on and mention something uh, really interesting that I noticed in, in the game. And uh, that is that there's apparently a way to get into a cheat mode. And I was curious if anyone else had found that uh, besides myself. I, I didn't even know there was a cheat mode. That was the first I'd heard of it, so I don't have a clue about it. Okay, yeah, and uh, so at first I wasn't able to, to understand what was even going on. I was playing the game, and I wanted to try to figure out what it was that allows you, when, it, when the game decides to advance from wave one to wave two. So I was wondering if it was based on how many enemy planes flew into the screen or what it was. So I was trying to... Uh, fire as many shots as I could without killing any enemies and to see if it was, you know, based on how many shots you had fired or something like that. And I got distracted and uh, I was on Discord and I looked back and I was suddenly, uh, I had uh, seven planes instead of two or three. And the score was up in the 200,000s. <laughs> right and uh, so I said what is going on here and so I was in so much shock I almost couldn't play and uh, so I tried to finish that game out actually I paused and started yeah, did you from that take point, a picture I, yeah, I, took a, I took a picture and I recorded you know the second half of the game from, from 200,000 up until I finally died uh, and I put it up on YouTube so if anyone wants to see what it looks like to get into the hack that it's up there on YouTube. I'm going to be uh, watching it later. Just a few minutes ago, I, I figured out what you need to do to get into that mode. Um, and Be sure. <laughs> should I just tell you what it is, or do you want to try to go on an Easter egg hunt for yourself? I have no time for an Easter egg hunt right now, so go ahead and tell me. <laughs> okay. So uh, what you need to do is survive wave one without scoring any points. And then uh, when you enter into wave okay, two, that's easy. <laughs> well, just surviving the game is sometimes well, yeah. Uh, the zero to, points uh, is easy. Yeah, weave your way around and, and not get hit, and and also don't uh, you know try to get, try to keep a zero score. So then when you go into wave two, you'll instantly uh, jump up to two hundred fifty six thousand three hundred points, and it adds some number of, of planes. I, I think it might add five planes or something like that. Cause I've seen, I've seen six and I've seen seven. Um, so I think it just adds five to whatever you had at the end of wave one. That sounds like a bug. <laughs> I don't know. There were some arcade games that had that little hidden feature that if you scored no points at all, that you would get some mega bonus. Cause it's hard to do actually in some games. Do, do you lose um, um, points anywhere in the game normally? Like, is there a subtraction that might be happening uh, no, on zero? 
I think it's more like, you know, you get you get 150 points for hitting small enemies and you get, you know, there's, it, it graduates, but you, yeah, you only gain points in this game from what I could see. Okay. He's got a bug there. Or it's on purpose. Like I said, there are some arcade games that actually had it that if you got zero points on the entire first round, you got to make a bonus. I've actually seen yeah, that. So I, commercial I don't know if there were any, uh, if there was a high score mentioned in the, in the magazines, uh, but I was curious if any of them were, you know, over 256,000, um, then that would be a pretty good, pretty strong indicator that they had, they had found the bug or the, or the crack. All right. Ken, so Ken, did hard. you look at scores in the rainbow when you were? I was looking around in the uh, issues around when the um, article was written, and I couldn't find any high score submission pages. So, okay. Um, yeah, Buck is saying he thinks he saw a six hundred fifty thousand point score in rainbows. So, so is it difficult to survive the first level without any points? Yes. Like yeah, that's all that I did in the second the second attempt, and that's all I did. Um, if you see, if it says score colon blank throughout, you know, throughout wave one, then that's, I think that qualifies. Um, somehow I was, I think I even accidentally shot down a couple of enemies. I was trying to miss, I was actually trying to fire the button a lot. So maybe you have to fire, you know, fire a lot of shots and not hit very many, you know, almost no enemies. Uh, and survive wave one. So try that combination. You know, firing shots into the clear blue as much as you can. Try not to hit anything. Mm. So play like Nick normally does on every game. Gotcha. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hidden sympathy mode. If you get through level one and you got no sympathy score, mode, suck. I need some help. <laughs> But yeah, well, we try that because that, that's an interesting because, like I said, I've played arcade games and you can check them on Claw. You've mentioned that there's some games, commercial games, arcade games that actually had that mode where if you got through an entire level and lasted it without killing anything in zero score, give you this mega bonus and you might skip ahead levels or something like that, too. So that would make sense that that might actually be on purpose. I really wish we had the manual for this one. Because I also like, I don't know if you caught that AC, but I actually got four shots at a time. I was actually, um, I think, wave three, and all of a sudden I was shooting twice as many bullets. Other people had multiple planes join in on the player. Like, there's a few things I don't know how you get them. Maybe, it, as Ken was speculating, it might be based on picking up the paratroopers, but or shooting them. I, I heard you mention that, Curtis, and I didn't, I didn't see that in any of the games I played. I probably spent three or four hours playing because I'd never played the game before, and it, it took. It took about two hours to be able to get, you know, anywhere to even get out of wave one. And and then, yeah, but I never saw the four shot mode. That didn't happen for, for any of us here. At my yeah, that happened for me. And then Sloopy got the multi-planes at the same time, which actually we got on recorded on the, on the live stream, yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating and I uh, thought some others might want to try the same too, if they can, if, if they can get into that mode. Mm -hmm. Cool. I think I'm going to have to try that game again this week if I get some time because I'm kind of yeah. curious on that now. And it was actually it. fun. Uh, the, the first 30 minutes of it were pure frustration, but it, the <laughs> game sort of grew on me as I, I got into it. My, my young son never enjoyed the game. He, he said, this is, this is way too hard. And then he would go back to playing, uh, you know, his Switch or his, or his uh, Xbox and, you know, saying that was easier. And you know, you have a joystick with a million hold on it. Now that's easier than fighter pilot. But. 
Yeah, games were harder back then. I will say that. They were simpler to control, but harder to, to get anywhere. To master, yeah. I like this concept of, okay, here's the apparent game, but here's the real game, <laughs> which is a completely different thing. Yeah, so Buck is mentioning uh, <clears throat> July 86 Rainbow has the high score as 350,450 points by Stephen Arvey of St. Louis. So that could be. Okay. Is the guy that made the program around? Dave Dyes? I haven't been able to get a hold of him in a while. I've, I've been trying because I would like to have him on for an interview now that it's been publicly really revealed by Glenn Dahlgren that he's the secret person behind Sinistar for Sundog after the whole big stink with Rainbow. And, you know, you know Rainbow's no longer around. Lonnie's no longer around. So I think he could, I would love to hear his side of the st- full story to come up, but I haven't been able to get a hold of him. Yeah, it, it may be curious if there were any disassemblies of, of games. You know, if there's a disassembly of this and if, you know, could someone sort of poke around and, and see what went wrong or if it was intentional looking in the, in the assembly. Not, not that I'm aware of. Okay. To that guy okay. who had that high score of 356,000 or whatever, you know, let's say he did get, you know, the high score via this method. Whenever he realize it's like oh my god what happened i don't know but i'm running with it you'd have to be the you know the worst player in the world for one wave and then hey. you know, the greatest player in the world for <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have to try pretty hard to score zero in the first wave yeah and last long enough not getting shot yeah yes and hit it takes some really really bad luck for an entire wave or really really good luck i'm not sure which it's like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. Let me put this down. I don't care if I die. You come back like, oh my god, where these points come from? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that was almost exactly my experience because I was, you know, I was playing, trying not to get killed and trying to not shoot anyone, and and I was looking at Discord and I was, you know, looking at typing something, and you know, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened? How did I oh. get seven claims and two hundred some thousand points? Now there is a pause key in the game too, isn't there? If I remember, yeah, yes. the key. Yeah, so when I when I caught on what had happened, I hit key really quick and I grabbed the can the video camera and, and recorded the rest of the game and put it up on YouTube and sweet. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for popping on to tell us that that's intriguing. Yeah. And then I've, I, has anybody else got any project updates and acquisitions? Because I have two that just showed up. <laughs> and don't forget the link I gave you too. That's that's one of them. <laughs> If, if there's nobody else, then I will do the last two two bits here. Going once, going twice. Okay, so I'll save Dave's for last year because the other one's a fairly quick announcement. So we had uh, the a- Taylor and Amy show. Oh, we featured the video when they did the a memory upgrade on a Coco um, on their YouTube channel earlier. And I reached out to them about, you know, maybe coming on to Coco Talk at some point. We actually got an email from them yesterday. They said, yes, they would be interested in doing so. So uh, we were going to be trying to set that up. And I just got word back from them. We would love to join you on the 26th of February. Thank you so much for the invite. Please let us know if there's anything we need to do to prepare. So we'll get in contact and basically consider that uh, an official guest now for the 26th. We'll have Taylor and Amy of the Taylor and Amy show on. And of course, they've got some Tandy 1000 stuff they've done. They've got some Coco stuff they've done, Odyssey 2 stuff they've done, a whole bunch of stuff. So there's a lot of things to ask them about. Um, So that'll be two guests in a row in the next two weeks. And then lastly, we've got uh, an update from Mr. David Ladd here since we sent him 60s loader. And you recorded this in MAME, I believe? Affirmative, sir. MAME's features of AVI rights are so handy. 
You guys are seeing that? I'm assuming yeah. you recorded sound yes. too, right, David? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool loading screen. How much this slows down the load compared to normal? If at all. I think they're just loading a Hello World program. But I do see it keeps the blinking, you know, found cursor up in the upper left. So is that loading now? Is it? Yeah, that blinking cursor in the upper left is the basic right. ROM routine still loading. It's loading thing, yeah. Oh, it's been loading this whole time. Yep. Actually, Sixty just said in the chat it's a standard load speed, so it loads the normal speed. You'd have to have add in the code for the load, the, the music player itself, obviously. So it'd be a bit longer to add that on the beginning, but basically the rest of the program should load the same speed as always. So, so they're doing some kind of playing the music in the blanking interval trick to play the music, and yet. Yeah, Sixty actually explained that a little bit earlier somewhere. Oh, was on chat? Or was it in I'm going to have to go track that down. That's cool. Loaded. That's cool. Yeah. Let me find a, I think Sixty had actually commented on that here. Yeah, thankfully Pedro gave me enough uh, enough room to work with that I was able to quickly get it recorded, get it converted to MP4, <laughs> wait for my slow internet up to upload it so that I could send you the link. I'm like, please, please keep stalling, keep stalling. Oh, I can stall with the best of them, trust me. Are you saying I talk a lot? No, he's saying I talk a um, lot. I'm I'm not saying you did or you didn't. Um, um you know, a, a, a better phrase. I know nothing. Basically, we all talk too much. That's why these saying. shows keep going up to five or six hours each day. That's why we're here today. <laughs> Yeah, 60s comment was, I think Stuart hacked it so it could fit into exact cycle count chunks. Yeah. So in between the cassette bits. So, so yeah, exactly that. 
But if it runs at the same speed, I mean, you, the double speed poke, I mean, you have to obviously adjust the, the player then to match if you're doing a co agreement or something like that. But you should be able to run the double speed and run 3,000 baht set while playing music. Should be kind of cool. Ooh, and just transpose all the music and octave down and you're yep. good. <laughs> and then put in the ZX0 compressor. Well, the compressor would take extra CPU time to do that all on the fly all the time. I guess you could uncompress a chunk or something, but or maybe uncompress, say, the, the main music and then have that running, but then you and maybe wait on the decompressor for the main stream until it's done versus doing it on the fly. I don't even know how that works if it's on the fly right now or not. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's very cool. But I mean it's it's amazing no one did anything practical with this like enter all the player names while the game loads or, <laughs> you know, that kind of crap. Hmm. In retrospect, you know, hindsight 2020 and all of that. Yeah. Most oh, people again. just did auto starts and then they would add in like a text-based doohickey to have something to look at while it's loading. But that's a little... Right. I mean, well, you know, wouldn't like anyone was making money on this stuff. Yeah. I probably would have done, you know, use the binary chunks and did a, a screen load, load some of the program, do a screen load, load some more of the game, screen load, load some more of the game. Oh, there you go. A little slideshow as you go in. Okay. Cool. That's all the updates I had. If, unless somebody else has any final project updates or acquisitions, I think we might be done for the day. Oh, good. I can go back to bed. <laughs> That's perfect timing. We're, we're sorry we kept you up, David. Okay. All right. My wife is going to call rent a husband. <laughs> rent a husband huh? <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, run the outro. I'll mute mine. Hello, my name's uh, Brian Bruderer. I made uh, P51 and Space Raiders. You can catch me live on Coco Talk, February 19th at 1 p.m. Eastern. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Lang, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, 
Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Cocoa community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! back so uh one uh, one question i should have thought about a little earlier so uh, alan do you have an update on the uh your dv project okay yeah coco dv so the, the latest thing is uh well this is what it has been looking like mm. i think that's showing up yeah uh, this yeah. is the original oh, yeah. form factor of it so you you socket your 6847 and you plug this in the socket, and then you put the uh, 6847 back in the, the socket on the board here. Uh, and this had a, um, a micro HDMI connector. And uh, that was just really finicky to uh, solder and to work with. So I've made a new version of the PCB, and I've ordered uh, 10, 10 boards. Um, and I've, I've increased this connector to a full-size HDMI connector. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess the, in, in the big scope of things, there's the global shortage of ICs that's affecting the availability of FPGAs. So uh, everything's really on hold right now, but uh, I think I'm going to be able to make a small, a small batch in March. <clears throat> and um, I'm not really advertising it because it all hinges on uh, the goodness of the FPGAs. Uh, but right. I do have a quantity of, of 10 of them. And, uh, and so when I get boards or when I get PCBs, I'll assemble some boards and, and test them out and, and uh, hopefully make those available. So, uh, but that should be, uh, I should know by the end of March about that. Now cool. this board you have there requires a VDG, right? You, you have to piggyback the VDG on it. You, you do have to piggyback the VDG. So it, uh, it's snooping, all, it sits in between the, the main board and the, your original VDD chip. So it's, and it's snooping the signals. So, uh, so you do need to, to keep your VDG chip, yes. But you have something else in the works, right? I thought. Uh, see, uh, the, the issue with, so some people would like to use this to replace the VDG and the, uh, the complication about that is that it can probably happen for the, the original MC6847P version, uh, but the, the later one that they came out with, the T1, that has the, the true lowercase uh, and, the, and the, the different border colors, uh, it has a different pinout, and it also uh, incorporated some ICs internally so they could reduce the chip count on the main board. So to replace it, uh, if I wanted to replace all of them, there would need to be two different versions. 
and and the one would have to to replace more chips so it was just a complication so uh, mm. just to keep things simple uh this is just you know a uh, pretty much so drop the... in and it can drop yeah. into either the the old or the new right and uh the only difference will be that it just will just have a different firmware load on it because of the pin scrambling of that yeah. rather than a whole uh, new spin of a board type thing yeah. So, you know, I think, I think in the future, I do have something in the works where I, I'm thinking about how could I um, replace the 6847 in a way that, it, you know, you can really um, design that chip out. Because what I was worried about is 10, 20 years from now, you know, will ICs start to have end of life issues and are we going to be scrambling, you know, at some point to try to find replacement mm -hmm. chips? Yeah. And, well, and that really I mean, had me worried. And, and that was why about a year ago, I started working on this, yeah. thinking about, you know, how I want to characterize this and and copy the, the logic of it now while I still have working Cocos. But I have no idea how long these 40-year-old IC chips are going to continue working. Well, I agree with you. I have the same fear. <laughs> They might work for another 40 years, but I really doubt it. I, you know, what, yeah. if, what if they start dropping off in five or 10 years and, you know, there's an end of life issue with them. So, uh, yeah, that's, that has me thinking about that. And that's, that's why I was trying to, to recreate it. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's kind of like Gary Becker and Ed Snyder replacing the gimme, you know, with the gimme X. Like it's not just where you plug a gimme into it. It's a whole replacement that, does yeah. all the original functionality plus adds to it, which is something like Coco VJ or something might be the future for this thing. And I, I always, you know, I have to think that it, it, it's also so that it can get that mysterious 256 color mode, right? That <laughs> you can find it in the original Gimme, even though we thought it might be in there. And but now with, with Gimme X, you can you can recreate that. All right, just as a recap, so your board uh, is for the uh, Coco 1 and 2 and gives you a HDMI output that's not a conversion. It's a, like a, a first generation digital. That's right. So it's, it's, you know, pixel perfect. Uh, there's no analog anywhere in that path. And uh, to avoid the whole HDMI royalties issue, um, I call it digital video. And so I, I think if, you know, if I do sell any of these, you'll want to get the sound through the regular channels, right? So uh, <laughs> as long as you don't build, build audio into the channel, it's not really HDMI. It's DVI uh, or something, isn't it? It's DVI. Yeah. So uh, you With, can- Oh, it's just a connector, it's, it's just shaped it's a, the same. Yeah, <laughs> the connector you know, will look like an HDMI yeah. connector and you can use an HDMI cable to an HDMI TV, or you could go with a converter to, to DVI you know, the rectangle shaped mm -hmm. connector. You can use either one, either cable, and uh, it'll be DVI uh, encoding, uh, but it'll work with either kind of a monitor or TV. And that's just to avoid all of the HDMI yeah. rights. And, well, there's no yeah. audio on the 6847 anyway. <laughs> right. Right. So, 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 so even though the output connector is now straight on the board, it's still cattywampus, sir. <laughs> How do you mean? Well, well it's not, it's, it's, it's not DVI, but it's DVI 
Uh, it, it's a joke on your original board where the connector was a little crooked and oh it's cro- oh, new- okay uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, oh, it's cool. deep sorry <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that was for a purpose of course because it, it you know it needs to fit in so many different models of the cocoa and it's you know they they oriented it in so many different positions from the cocoa one until the last yeah and there were, you know, capacitors, there were RF modulators, and there were, you know, every way that you, every way that I tried to point this thing, it was always hitting something. So I had to go at this crazy angle. Because you got to be able to wrap the cable out with that, and you got to have a minimum bend on the cable so it doesn't stress the connector. Yes. So if you made it vertical, fit everything. if you made it a vertical connector, and, you know, yeah, they and they, you know, there are some of those. They were just a lot harder to find. Yeah, but they, they do exist. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful project. I like it. It's thanks. Yeah, thanks. I, I really, I the, the FPGA shortage couldn't have hit it at a worse time. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, everybody like six says projects. That. <laughs> but it, it gave, but it forced me to go do something else, right? So I went and worked on sprites and and sound. You know, Sid sound. So I, I've been busy. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. cool. Well, does that cover it for today? I think so. That was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Because I didn't have that much news today. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then let's just say goodbye. Bye, we'll see you next everyone. Week. Brian Bruno is our guest. Coming out. We'll questions. see you next weekend.